Albuquerque's macro aggression, Eddie Aragon, the rock of talk. Aragon, the Rock of Talk, right here in Albuquerque, New Mexico, on AM 1600 KIV, FM, rockoftalk.com, 550-5500. Happy New Year to everybody out there, and we're going to have a full three-hour tour here as uh, we continue to modify what we do here on the radio station. I, I guess our satellite guys will be in tomorrow, so looking forward to that, handling that, all the clipping that was going on. I know how annoying, what a way to start the year, but uh, it's there, so... Uh, there could be potential some interference, uh, things like that. Don't forget, you can download my apps, uh, Roku, Amazon, Fire, Apple TV, if you want to watch. Uh, again, an mes- unbelievable number of people who have downloaded those apps and uh, have continued to uh, patronize our businesses, our advertisers. Uh, please, uh, folks, uh, keep everything on the air by keeping our advertisers in business. That's uh, also very important. Uh, don't forget. And, uh, of course, you can download my apps at Rock of Talk. Dot com for Apple and Android. Make sure that you guys uh, do that. This is a live show in the evening. We are 24 hours live around the clock, and uh, we're going to address a number of things uh, here uh, this evening, uh, trying to focus more on what's going to be happening tomorrow. A little review on today, but catching you up on all the things uh, of the day. Uh, we are live 24 hours a day, beginning at 12 noon Sunday throughout the radio station, going all the way to Saturday you can believe it, at 7 a.m., and then it'll be live and local, and then going all, all the way until 3 a.m. the following uh, day where Art Bell uh, takes the reins there, the deceased Art Bell from a few years back, uh, from 3 to 7 a.m., and then we have our religious morning uh, along with Steve Smotherman and, uh, of course, our, uh, our honor, uh, our veterans, uh, which is a hometown hero show that we've been doing here locally for about eight years. Great guy. Paul Leffler, by the way, the Lobos playing Fresno State tonight, so uh, trying to remain uh, undefeated uh, in all of that. And then, of course, Lutheran Hour and the rest of that. And the, the uh, very good Bradley Dean show, uh, the uh, Liberty uh, show that uh, takes place before Gun Talk and then all the rest of the stuff. And then I will eventually get to uh, my live show on Sundays. But I'm Monday through Friday live from 8 to 11. Uh, thanks to Jesse Kelly. I'll be out to see him uh, hopefully in a couple of weeks once I got my clearance to go ahead and uh, travel. So looking forward to that. Uh, once they give me the green light uh, to go ahead and, and uh, do that. So anyway, all the uh, schedule and everything uh, can be found uh, directly at rockoftalk.com. Just click around. You'll find everything that you need uh, right there. So happy new year. Hopefully uh, it's off to a better one. than the Republican Party has gotten to. Um, folks, uh, a complete and total disarray. Uh, for the first time in 100 years that uh, you were seeing what's happening. And, you know, uh, it is not going to be a great year. Let's just start there uh, in 2023. And we're already seeing why uh, that all of that is happening. So we're going to touch upon the speaker, Republicans, and, and Santos, uh, who has uh, yet to be sworn in. Uh, we'll also uh, tether upon the economy and tech and, you know, big trouble for the U.S. economy. A majority of large banks uh, are sending out warnings. Uh, we've got a new Gallup poll, as you heard on O'Reilly. Uh, previously, 80% of Americans predict uh, 23 will deliver economic difficulty, no doubt about it. We'll talk about financial trends uh, that have been impacted, Tesla, Apple, all the rest of that uh, that's out there. Uh, advertising for Google and Meta is down, so we'll uh, get to that. And then we'll also touch upon a little bit of what's happening on social media. They're going after Jordan Peterson, uh, obviously, uh, 
They went after Andrew Tate. Uh, and then Elon Musk, I told you he was a leftist. He's uh, literally uh, put in a comma in at number two. Uh, so we'll touch upon that as uh, Elon Musk has uh, decided to uh, go ahead and promote a uh, Chinese national uh, to the head, uh, second in charge, I should say, of Tesla. I guess he's paying attention to that again, and he needs to. A number of news items, uh, including the uh, passing of Pope, the passing of Pele, a number of uh, unfortunate events. We'll touch upon the Hamlin stuff probably for almost a good hour. There's so much uh, that is there, and uh, I think we need to hit upon that. Tucker, uh I was just watching some of the clips uh, from Tucker earlier this evening, and uh, we'll hear from Peter McCullough. In fact, uh, we should start there, but I'm going to wait because we've got to get this uh, speaker business out of the way. What we thought was going to be a pretty easy uh, run was anything. But then the Southwest Airlines, you got 25,000 additional points. If you're like me, an A-lister, and you got your flights canceled, uh, you're going to pick up an additional 25,000 points bonus just for keeping you. But going to take 135,000 next year. And then we're going to go to China, Russia and war, uh, Ukraine, uh, Taiwan, and obviously uh, the U.S. and the massive amounts of money that, uh, hey, this is one of the reasons why McCarthy is uh, being held up uh, because of the traitorous things uh, that he has uh, been doing. So uh, we'll go ahead and uh, kick it off uh, right there. And I just want to kind of set things up uh, for tomorrow because Kevin McCarthy not didn't lose once. Didn't lose twice. He lost three times, three times to become the Speaker of America's House of Representatives, folks, after 20 hard right Republicans is the way that we are being characterized, withheld their support. It's the first time in more than a century that the lower chamber of Congress failed to elect a leader in the initial poll. The rebels, uh, as they are calling us, have coalesced or behind Jim Jordan, uh, who I have told you I am behind and will continue to be behind. So he lacks the support of the rest of the caucus. Uh, I don't know that it looks that positive uh, for McCarthy. And, you know, how could or how long could this potentially last? Well, you have to go back to 1856, folks, to see how many rounds that this could potentially go to. So if you think it's going to be over tomorrow, it's likely not going to be over tomorrow. It may not even be over the next week. It may not be over the next month. It's uh, pretty incredible how long this could go. They went 133 rounds back in 1856, folks. 1856. Uh, and uh, finally, they got their uh, speaker. And it stalls everything from the introduction in uh, uh, bills to, to passing of any sort of legislation. And overall, I think given where we're at, I think that's not the worst idea given how bad the legislation they continue to pass. And, and given the fact that Republicans are joining on board with so many Democrats on so many things, the omnibus bill being the latest uh, of that. So here we go. We go back to 1856 and how long the tug of war could potentially go. Uh, this went 133 rounds of voting to determine that contest where former representative Nathaniel Banks of Massachusetts was unable to round up enough support in his contest to lead the chamber. But Banks ultimately prevailed. The House is now slated to hold votes continually until a speaker is elected. Now, uh, if the Republicans would have given their power away, they would have probably done it today or tomorrow, uh, just in terms of smacking of desperation. That's likely not going to happen. So, you know, you hear a lot of the... Uh, liberal media sort of, you know, pushing that type of thing out that they could go for a Democrat or you hear Breitbart and sort of the fear mongering uh, that's going on that they adjourn today without a speaker. They'll pick it up tomorrow, 10 a.m. local time in uh, New Mexico and uh, 12 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time where they're going to pick up the gavel and do it again. So they had uh, Jim Biggs and they had Jim Jordan. 
uh, who were battling back and forth. I was watching more, most of this stuff, uh, you know, happen in uh, real time. And there was almost no coverage. And it doesn't seem to be that any of the talkers really know what's going on. And everyone's afraid to take on any of these guys. Everyone's calling each other good friends. Uh, hey, we've done these interviews before. We need to stay close with each other. Oh, we're, we're, but we're all going to prevail. I don't think that that's necessarily going to happen because Matt Gates seems to be leading the charge along. So the strong personalities, the young personalities of the party seem to be leading the charge. Now, you might remember that Donald Trump backed McCarthy. You might remember Speaker Gingrich backed McCarthy. And I don't know that that is going to hold up because you have the Freedom Caucus, Matt Gates. Uh, and the like uh, really kind of prop it on. We're going to hear some audio. Uh, we've got to hear from former uh, uh, former elected official out of South Carolina, Trey Gowdy. Uh, you're going to hear from uh, a Newt Gingrich. You're going to hear from a number of people who are all saying that we need to go ahead and push McCarthy, given how bad their prognostications were and their profiteering, uh, if you will, or I should say profit, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, they're profiting uh, about what was going to happen in the 2022 elections. I don't know that we should necessarily be li uh, listening to them. And since we're sort of locked anyway between the House and the Senate, where we are, 5149 uh, in the Senate, and given what the House is, I don't know that this is the worst outcome. So we're going to see how this plays out, but it's going to be playing out, in my opinion, over the next few weeks. Uh, they're not going to come to a head anytime soon. There's nothing pressing, uh, but this basically eliminates a lot of uh, what have been the investigations into Joe Biden and investigations in, in, into the Democrats. Back after a quick break uh, here in the Kiva, back in three. All right, uh, 818 here locally, 1018 East Coast time. Glad to be here with you. I'm Eddie Eric on the Rocket Talk. You can find me at rockettalk.com. That's rockettalk.com. So much of a mess was created today, but we're going to go ahead and try and clean it up. Uh, Add some rhyme to reason uh, to midst of all this. The Democrats look good, obviously. Hakeem uh, Jeffries, uh, the first elected uh, person of color. I don't know, black man. I don't know exactly. Some sort of history was made with Hakeem Jeffries. And uh, look, folks, after the 2022, you would think that they'd be able to go ahead and they being uh, the Republicans, we being the Republicans, be able to put it sort of all together so that we could get ready for 23. We'd be able to organize and take the House. We'd get together and make sure that we're going to, you know, take it to Joe Biden, uh, hold it and, and keep it on 24. It doesn't look good for 24. And uh, who does look good is the Democrats. They never stepped out of line. They all got behind Jeffries and they are pushing for Jeffries to be Speaker of the House. Here's Jeffries uh, looking pretty good right out of the gates. In the everyone, it's my honor to stand here with the House Democratic whip, Catherine Clark, and the House Democratic Caucus Chair, Pete Aguilar. I want to thank Catherine for doing an extraordinary job today in making sure that Democrats were present, voting, and entirely unified through the three different votes that took place. And I want to thank Pete uh, Aguilar for his very kind and generous and thoughtful words of nomination. There you go, folks. Uh, that easy for them to go ahead and and get that done. Uh, meanwhile, the Republicans looking at so but moving forward and unified, Jeffrey's looking good, not in any way excited and, you know, giving paying tribute to all the people who have helped him along. And, you know, the uh, Republicans on the other side, not looking uh, so hot. So um, here's. And of course, no one's going to do it better, in my opinion, uh, than Tucker. And uh, this is exactly 
what you saw. He is referring to it as uh, democracy in action. Uh, not good way to start out. He kicks off the show uh, earlier this evening. Take a This is a Fox News alert. Lots of drama on Capitol Hill tonight. There is still no Speaker of the House. There are a couple of votes. Kevin McCarthy has been turned down twice by a total of 20 Republicans. Fox's Trace Gallagher has been following this all day long and has an update for us tonight. Hey, Trace. Hey, Tucker. After three rounds of voting, Kevin McCarthy is actually losing ground. During rounds one and two, 19 hardline conservatives voted against him. But in round three, Florida GOP Congressman-elect Byron Donalds also voted against McCarthy. All 20 of those GOP opposition votes went to Ohio Congressman-elect Jim Jordan, who says he does not want to be Speaker of the House. Meantime, those voting against Kevin McCarthy are pushing for concessions like specific committee assignments and increased funding to investigate government corruption. But Congressman-elect Mike Waltz says those voting against McCarthy keep changing their demands. Watch him. At this point, it seems to just be pure obstructionism. And what's so frustrating is the goalpost seems to keep moving. Uh, We all asked this morning as a conference some of those individuals, what will it take to get to 218 so we can move forward with the agenda that the voters elected us to move forward with and stop Biden's agenda? And there was no answer. Meantime, Kevin McCarthy says he is in it for the long haul. And by the way, the record long haul happened back in 1856 when it took 133 ballots over two months to elect a Speaker of the House. And remember, until there's a Speaker, the House cannot do any business. In fact, new members can't even be sworn in. Political analysts say as the ballots go on, some members may start voting present. And each no-show or present vote would lower Kevin McCarthy's threshold. Right now, as you heard, he needs... 218 votes. Tucker, he is 16 short going into tomorrow. Wow. Democracy in action. Trace Gallagher, thank you for that. I had no. There you go. So, uh, putting a nice little bow tie on this whole thing, 133 rounds, and you got everything that you're looking at. So, Democrats look good, Republicans look bad. Where do we go from here? And uh, you, you heard what was being said about getting Joe Biden's agenda out of the way. Uh, There are so many Republicans who enabled Joe Biden at this point that you don't really have any confidence in Congress. You don't have any uh, confidence in the Republicans uh, who have been there. They've done anything but uh, stop Joe Biden. In fact, they have cooperated with him Uh, more, more or less. uh, So many Republicans have defected and not defended Donald Trump. And, and that's where Tucker, in my opinion, you know, picked it up on the right note and focused on the right thing, which is getting back to the January 6th, which is just a few days away, just a few days away. Uh, here we are, and we're all going to be talking about that. And it's going to be one of those things where, you know, they're going to drag Trump in the midst of all this disarray that's happening. And then they're going to, they've already t- taken his tax returns and put that on, you know, front and center for everybody to look at. And then uh, it gets back to, well, McCarthy, do you want to do something? Do you want to make something happen? Uh, you might want to go ahead and take a few pointers from Tucker Carlson and his intro this evening. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson. Tonight, happy first Tuesday in 2023. The fun never stops. We thought we'd be able to announce a new Speaker of the House tonight. We thought we knew who it was going to be. But no, the race for Speaker is still ongoing. Voting's been suspended for the day. It's going to resume again tomorrow. Now, the fact that this race has not been settled by now is being described, especially online, by many 
as embarrassing. And it is embarrassing if you prefer the Soviet-style consensus of the Democratic Party's internal elections, where votes are merely a formality and all the really big decisions, the meaningful ones, are made years in advance by donors. Oh, of course, everyone's on board. That's what they do. But if you prefer democracy to oligarchy, if you prefer real debates about issues that actually matter, it's pretty refreshing to see it. Yes, it's a little chaotic, but this is what it's supposed to be. Now, we're going to bring you a lot more detail on what's happening in just a minute and throughout the week. But first, a quick overview to frame the big points. So Kevin McCarthy of California was going to be speaker. He badly wants to be speaker. In fact, he wants that job more than anything else in his life. And he was going to get it. But then a group of 20 Republican members stopped him. Now, they stopped him because they decided that Kevin McCarthy is not conservative enough to represent a party that's just taken back the House from Nancy Pelosi. And they are definitely right about that. McCarthy is not especially conservative. He is, in fact, ideologically agnostic. He's flexible. His real constituency is the lobbying community in Washington. So if you've got sincere political beliefs, that is infuriating to watch. On the other hand, to be fair, this is politics and McCarthy does have strengths. It's not easy being speaker when the House is this closely divided. And in some ways, Kevin McCarthy is perfectly suited for that. He is skilled in politics, not a small thing. And critically, McCarthy is willing to spend the next two years living in hotel rooms, raising money for his party ahead of a historic presidential election. What other Republican in the House is willing to do that? Well, as of tonight, and we have checked, no one has stepped forward. So really the pivotal question is, how badly does Kevin McCarthy want this job? 20 of his colleagues have just publicly disavowed him, loudly and again and again. So to win them back, McCarthy is going to have to give them something real. Not more airy promises, which he specializes in. He's going to have to give them actual concessions. If Kevin McCarthy wants to be the speaker, he is going to have to do things he would never do otherwise. Like what? We can think of at least two things. First, release the January 6th files. Not some of the January 6th files and video, all of it. And not to some phony committee that will hide them, that in fact is designed to hide them from the public, but put them online. Release them to the public directly so that the rest of us can finally know what actually happened on January 6th, 2021. It's been two years. It's long overdue. It's our right as Americans to know. And McCarthy could tell us. Second, Kevin McCarthy could put Thomas Massey of Kentucky in charge of a new Frank Church committee designed to discover what the FBI and the intel agencies have been doing to control domestic politics in this country. They've been doing a lot. But no one in Washington wants to talk about it. This topic is effectively off limits and has been. In fact, no one's talked about it for almost 50 years. And so because no one has talked about it or stopped it, the rot has spread and democracy has withered. You can feel it. The FBI is now a bigger force in American elections than any single group of voters. This cannot continue. It is poison. And Kevin McCarthy is uniquely situated right now to stop it. So by striking a deal with his 20 colleagues, McCarthy could restore our system to health and at the very same time get the job he has always wanted. It's not so complicated. Let's hope he does it. So I think that uh, sort of answers it all. What's really stopping is that they're not attacking the corruption. So we've seen the same thing of the same sort of milk toast Republicans over and over again. They get to Washington, D.C., they get a little bit of power and they're like, oh, swear me in, swear me in. I can't wait to go ahead and just why don't we just stay united? And, you know, they put all this puff pieces out. Now, let's not forget here on our own neighborhood in New Mexico, 
You know, um, Steve Scalise is worse than McCarthy. He backed the likes of Steve Pierce and being involved in what I was involved in here in, in my own state, you look at this and you say, well, you know, why can't we overturn? Why can't we battle back? Why aren't we winning? And the real reason we aren't winning is we're not making the hard choices that the types like Jim Jordan would make. Now, Jim Jordan doesn't want to be Speaker of the House. He does not want to do it. But what he stands for, I think, is the most important thing. And the likes of Bobert and Matt Gates are backing Jim Jordan. And for good reason, we're going to hear from Bobert. Uh, in the uh, next segment, because I think it's a, a good thing that's going to illustrate, you know, what is at the you know bottom line of all this, which is battling back against the corruption. I want to say, you know, why does Donald Trump support McCarthy as speaker instead of maybe one of the MAGA representatives? And if you look at, you know, people like Barr, Sessions, Mattis, Tillerson, Bolton, like all these people, these are all people that Donald Trump was in line with. So here he is once again. He's in line with the likes of uh, McCarthy and getting behind him. And I don't know where his head is at, but it doesn't look good. And it's a lonely road for Donald Trump right now on the presidential trail, especially with things going like this. Not a good start to 23, back in three. Uh, actually, back in five here at the bottom of the hour. Thanks for everybody in Rock the Top. I am Sister Kiavi, AB Kira. Bottom of the hour here in the Kiva, a little hip hop, uh, lust for life. The music uh, always coming from the Rock and Talk uh, as well in the Kiva. So let's get to, uh, shall we, uh, Bobert and uh, what, what what's really going on here and the demands uh, that are happening. Because uh, there's just a few of them, in, this, in addition to what Tucker has already thrown out, that need to be done. Uh, given... Uh, probably one of the most disappointing midterms in history at, at a time when we were supposed to, you know, go 40 plus, uh, 45 plus, according to um, former Speaker Newt Gingrich. Uh, we were supposed to be about around 250, uh, have this mandate in a, anything but. Now we're 222, 213, and we've got a handful of about 20, now 20. We went from 19 to 20 with that third last vote. Uh, and the Freedom Caucus, uh, if you will. I mean, and, and just so you know who this is, it's Matt Gates of Florida, Lowen Bobert of Colorado, who you're going to hear from, Scott Perry of Pennsylvania. And they put a package and they gave it to McCarthy. It uh, called also for something called the Holman Rule, which allows lawmakers to use spending bills to defund specific programs and fire federal officials or reduce their pay. They're, they're really trying to make people accountable. This is what we wanted. Now, imagine... If only 20 people in the entire Republican Party are be are, are being called now um, <coughs> right wing, like that's a little strange, isn't it? Aren't we all right wing if we're Republican? And I think we haven't been right wing enough. I mean, the entire world is moving to the left. I mean, of the G7, six of the seven uh, are left wingers uh, of their countries. So here's what they're asking for. Promising to hold votes on a series of bills backed by hard right members including legislation that required term limits for members of Congress. Isn't that something that we all wanted? They're asking for term limits to nip the power in the bud. How about a balanced federal budget? Yes, these are reasonable things to be asking for. These are the things that we've wanted. But the media isn't telling you any of this. Nobody's telling you this. In fact, if you watch Fox News or if you watch uh, anybody else out there, it just feels like some sort of, ideological or ad hominem type of ba uh, a battle. And, and that's really unfair to you. I think it's insulting to me because, you know, these guys aren't just holding out for the sake of holding out. They want things, a balanced federal budget, term limits, 
And what about border security? That's three things that they're asking for right out of the chute. So McCarthy saying, no, we don't want border security. We don't need a balanced federal budget. We don't want term limits. Of course, he doesn't want term limits. How about the political action committee led by Republicans would not fund challengers in party primaries? Oh, you want to see what's wrong with the Republican Party? It's exactly that. Don't fund challengers. Keep the Republicans elected Republicans and force that elected Republican to become more Republican. That's just the right thing to do within the Republican Party. But of course, the Republican Party is anything but the Republican Party anymore. McCarthy wants to let lead them all to become less Republican and more appealing to a broader base as we go for 24. We're going to lose everything, folks. Also, they want to go ahead and use a leadership pack aligned with him, McCarthy, to back more mainstream candidates, adopting a requirement that any spending earmark also to receive two-thirds support of the House in order to pass, be a little bit more fiscally responsible. I don't think there is anything wrong with that, do you? Well, here's Bobert, and this is one of the reasons why we love her so much. And uh, she barely eked out a win, right? She's a little bit too hard to the right, I suppose. Um, But here's what uh, she had to say. And, of course, uh, as you know, it was uh, pretty good. Uh, She backs Jim Jordan. How do you see this ending? Can you see yourself voting for a consensus candidate? Can you vote for Steve Scalise, for example? I am voting for um, anyone who actually brings unity to the Republican Party and helps get our country back on track. And we who is have that? to actually govern on the things that we campaigned on. Well, right now, our candidate is Jim Jordan. This is He is a fighter. He is a leader. Um, he may not want it right now, but George Washington did not want to be president. He did what was right for his country. So do you think and Jim every Jordan time, is the consensus candidate? Right now, he absolutely is. And every time that he speaks up um, to defend Kevin McCarthy, he actually just reaffirms why he would make a great speaker. And if you heard from him that he does not want it in any way, shape, or form, what do you say? Uh, I have heard that from him. And uh, if we have the numbers, then sorry, Jim Jordan, we're going to make you do what's right for the country. (laughs) you got to love this, right? How about that spirit? That's awesome, right? And I think the point about uh, George Washington is well taken. Now, we've had the Trey Gowdies uh, of the world. And They always seem to have the gavel. They're strong speakers. They seemingly are effective leaders. But they were there at a time when Trump was already elected president and they were carrying the water uh, when it didn't need to necessarily be carried. So here's the flip side of all this, okay, that you have to look for. So we we, we take sort of the strongest advocates. I'm more of a Boebert person than I ever could be a Trey Gowdy guy. And it's why I am behind Jim Jordan, as I told you uh, even last week uh, when I was uh, uh, referring to this, which I think is very, very important. Bobert is choosing Jordan, but Gowdy, well, he's uh, backing McCarthy. And you're going to see sort of the zaniness uh, right here uh, by uh, Trey Gowdy. Uh, look, look I, I got bad news for Kevin's opponents. He's got a lot more than 20 friends. So uh, there there are more than 20 people that are going to say, you know what, we're not ever voting for anyone else. I mean, Brett, you got a guy who's got 200 votes and the next leading vote getter, for very good reasons, doesn't want to be the Speaker of the House. And yet this comic... Trey Gowdy thinks that you're stupid. This is the type of old Republicanism that worked when we had the presidency. You could say stuff like that and just make, you know, stupid, commonsensical, uh, you know, comments about things and get away with it and be okay. Oh, it's a 20 to 200. No, it's not that. 
It's what Boebert is saying. And again, when you get back to the principles of this, holding votes, right? So that would require term limits, making sure that you have a balanced federal budget and making sure that you have border security. I think these are just hallmarks of good Republican policy that isn't going to be there, that isn't going to be there if these 20 people don't stand up. They're doing the right thing. And in my opinion, they're really sort of making history. They did it today, first time in 100 years, all right? And how about not backing Republican opponents in primaries, party primaries? Keep the Republicans there. Don't have anybody that is going to run. Let's continue to listen to the uh, zaniness of uh, Trey Gowdy, shall we? Mikhazi wing within the Republican Party knows better than 85% of the rest of the conference. There's that rhetoric. There it is. The kamikaze wing, because we want a balanced budget. I mean, we're not even talking about those things. And he's just skipping over that. It's irresponsible. And it's playing on emotions, which, in my opinion, is an insult to everybody's intelligence. I want to be the Speaker of the House. And yet this kamikaze wing within the Republican Party knows better than 85% of the rest of the conference. Jimmy doesn't want the job for very good reasons. So I, I, don't, I don't know what happens. I will say this. I, uh, they didn't want a secure border. That is not what the negotiation was over, Brett. It was about, it, it, there are a handful of people who want gavels and want things that they can't get based on merit and they can't get it based on intelligence, but they want it given to them by the Speaker of the House. And Kevin said no. There's an open, open border Republican right there and someone who doesn't want to advocate for term limits. So that's really what the battle's about. I would ex- expect this to continue for some time. It's not going to go away. It's going to be messy. We're going to blow right through January 6th, very likely, unless some sort of deal is actually arranged uh, where McCarthy agrees to do all of these things that are being held by the Freedom Caucus. And this is important. Because this uh, soft milk toast republicanism that has been going on is not going to be helpful. And I think that you guys are probably all in agreement with uh, those type of things. That's what you want to see going forward. And this is a very, very important time so we can launch the right way going into 24. Um, If we are to have a chance at all, and I do mean that at all, and it's likely going to be DeSantis, it is not going to be uh, Donald Trump. I just don't see that happening with what we're seeing right now. I see uh, it's going to be uh, Ron DeSantis, and he was um, basically sworn in today, and we'll get to a little bit of those uh, comments uh, uh, that he made uh, earlier uh, this uh, this day. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Back in today, you and me, hopefully you have a better understanding of what's going on out there up in Washington, D.C., as a battle for power, and what are they battling for? Uh, a little clash there. Uh, happy uh, so again that will extend for some time i think you know who the players are who's up and jim biggs is out uh it's going to be jim jordan uh, or mccarthy and uh it's on principle and i think that that's a good thing don't forget to download my app rockoftalk.com uh, you can also go to rockoftalk.tv as well broker tv amazon fire and apple tv and uh, you can might better get a little bit better reception uh, right there pa- uh, apologize for all the uh, problems uh, there on the satellite feeds uh, that were coming in uh, today as we are listening to Glenn Buck and uh, Glenn Beck. I think Glenn's going to be back tomorrow uh, in the morning, so hopefully looking forward to that. I want to get his insight uh, on all that. I think it'll be good. And then, uh, of course, Bill O'Reilly. I mean, this is really a powerhouse, and now you got Jesse Kelly, who's very funny, and in my opinion, he wants it. He wants to do better. He's young. I mean, we've got young 
conservative guys here on this radio station. I'm in nowhere in close to, to being the youngest at uh, 47. You've got, uh, I think, Clay and Buck at uh, 37 and 41. I think you got Jesse Kelly. He might be 35, 36 years of age. Um, just some good young people here on the radio station. We are live 24 hours here in the Kiva. Kiva.am if you want to go ahead and just get the raw stream and uh, not uh, stay away from all the apps. Uh, or you can go to rockoftalk.com. That's rockoftalk.com and download the apps uh, as well. Well, of course, speaking of young, 43 years of age, he is young, he is handsome, he is running the most powerful state uh, in the entire country. His name, Mr. Ron DeSantis, uh, soon to be president, hopefully, if he can beat Michelle Obama. Yes, I'll continue to put that out there. It is definitely going to be Michelle Obama. And I'm happy with Ron DeSantis. And so many people have picked up and left and moved to Florida or to Texas or to Utah or some other red state. Uh, the flight out of my home state here in New Mexico uh, has been something uh, to be witnessed. And you've seen them even go to places like Nevada, uh, which is a great place to relocate to. And uh, the great radio station, 670 AM KMZQ, uh, nighttime radio, uh, good there, the voice of Vegas. But uh, let me go ahead and uh, let you hear from the man himself uh, who uh, took in another term. And embarrassingly, uh, we've had a second term for my own governor, Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham of the state of New Mexico. Not happy about that, but I can be happy about uh, Ron DeSantis. Uh, DeSantis uh, had his inauguration uh, speech today. Let's take a listen and see what the man had to say. I'm feeling positive and there's some things to be positive going into 2024. This bizarre but prevalent ideology that permeates these policy measures purports to act in the name of justice for the marginalized, but it frowns upon American institutions. It rejects merit and achievement, and it advocates identity essentialism. We reject this woke ideology. We seek normalcy, not philosophical lunacy. We will not allow reality, facts, and truth to become optional. We will never surrender to the woke mob. Florida is where woke goes to die. Wow, uh, really just a fabulous uh, introduction into his uh, next four years. Hopefully it's only two. Uh, I'm certainly happy about his leadership. And uh, you got to carry Florida to carry the country. Uh, Ohio, uh, certainly some a state that's going to appeal to the people who support Ron DeSantis instead of uh, Donald Trump. But I'm not going to pick a guy either. So I'm not here to make prognostications or anything. I'm just saying who's better suited for what's happening right now. Uh, what's going on with Donald Trump uh, just seems to be uh, disastrous uh, at this point. But I need to go ahead and inform you as to what is going on out there. So let's know who are the Republicans that are opposing McCarthy's speaker's bid, the third most powerful position. And with every passing minute, dare I say second, he is losing power because it doesn't look good for him, right? He had Chip Roy of Texas, okay? He was a uh, chief of staff to Ted Cruz, and uh, he knows all about how to run the House. Scott Perry of Pennsylvania he is the current Freedom Caucus chairman. He played a key role in the plot by Donald Trump to fire the acting attorney general who stood by the results of the 2020 election. We also have Dan Bishop of North Ka North Kakalaki. I just like to say that, who is the architects of the bathroom bill, which uh, required transgender people in public buildings to use the bathroom, corresponding to the gender on their birth certificate. Uh, not a radical idea. So you got to get rid of all the uh, wokeism. Uh, let's see. You have some of uh, some freshmen, um, people who haven't even been sworn in. Anna Paulina Luna 
of Florida. Uh, we have Eli Crane of Arizona and Andy Olgus of Tennessee all signed on letters indicating they were unsatisfied with McCarthy's concessions thus far. And he hasn't even been, been sworn in. And none of these guys have been sworn in uh, as of yet. Uh, Ogles is also a former mayor who has called for the impeachment of Donald, or excuse me, of uh, Mr. Biden and Vice President uh, Kamala Harris. So I have to tell you, I'm pretty excited about him. Uh, these are all people that aren't going to mean very much to you, but you should pay attention uh, You know who's involved in this group that is really trying to hold back McCarthy. Uh, you have Matt Gates of Florida, and listen to the states too. Andy Biggs of uh, not Jim Biggs, Andy Biggs of Arizona. He was uh, also chairman of the House Freedom Caucus, uh, and uh, they were Donald Trump's, by the way, most aggressive allies during his uh, presidency, according to the New York Times. You also have Matt Rosendell of Montana, Ralph Norman of South Carolina, Bob Good of Virginia. Uh, you also have uh, let's see, uh, a, a gentleman. Oh well. <laughs> Jim Jordan is actually nominated uh, uh, McCarthy, which was interesting. I saw that happen live, and I was like, he came out, took his uh, 13, I think, 13, 14 that he had at that particular point, and he said, I would like to, to nominate uh, Kevin McCarthy. And I was like, oh, wow, that's interesting. And all that did was get him even more support. So I think uh, Bovert uh, and the like are seeing um, – <laughs> I think they're seeing uh, Jim Jordan for who he is, really a true leader, uh, certainly a selfless guy and someone who's not in pursuit uh, of power. He hails from a pretty good uh, place uh, in uh, Ohio. Uh, I believe that that would be Northwest Ohio. Uh, he says, the difference we may have, the differences between Joyce and Jordan or Biggs and Bacon, they pale in comparison to the difference between us and the left, which now unfortunately controls the other party is what he said in his speech. I came in with Kevin. We came in same time 16 years ago. We haven't always agreed on everything, but I like this fight. I like his tenacity. I remember Kevin told me, wrote about this in the book. I remember Kevin told me the toughest times in life are when you get knocked down. The question is, can you come back? And I have always seen him been able to do that. So here they are once again, Biggs, Bishop, Clyde, Crane Gates, Good, Gosar, Norman, Perry, Rosendale, Bobert, Cloud, Luna, Miller, Ogle, Self, Breach, Harris, and Chip Roy uh, rounding out your 19. And then you've got uh, Daniels now uh, making 20. So a big, big fight uh, happening in Washington, D.C., uh, making a lot of history. And there was a lot of people who were saying that McCarthy just can't be trusted. Um, according to uh, one of the guys interviewed uh, by the Daily Caller, caller uh, Harold Hutchinson interviewed him, uh, MSNBC predicted Tuesday that Republican Kevin McCarthy would resign from Congress within a year after he failed to be named speaker after three ballots. Uh, according to uh, one person, I personally think he's done. I don't think there's a path for Kevin. He may have one last shot behind closed doors, but I think this run of the speakership is probably done, and I would be surprised, according uh, to Nicole, if Kevin McCarthy is in the House of Representatives a year from now. Now, of course, they're always making these big, drastic, you know, from, you know, <laughs> predictions and uh, getting some news. And th that's why these people generally go to, you know, the front of the line because they're going to say something that it, it seems so, you know, out there. But Don Bacon of Nebraska called for Republicans to work with Democrats to elect a unity speaker. This was in an op-ed for the Daily Caller. And it should McCarthy's bid fail. That couldn't be, in my opinion, a worse suggestion 
And what he said is nobody trusts Kevin McCarthy. One of the reasons I got ostracized from the party, nobody trusted me for very different reasons. I was willing in my view of the world to call out the truth uh, of the caucus. So, wow, that's going to the uh, left of all of this. So you've got the people who are opposing this and you got them adjourning today. First time in 100 years, uh, certainly a monumental day. Now, the White House is actually talking about this, but they say, Basically, that they're just going to let this all play out. Well, of course, they're going to let it play out. Uh, but the Democrats continue to be unified behind Jeffries, even Pelosi. Every single time they voted for Jeffries or you heard a vote for Jeffries by Pelosi, you heard everybody stand up and clap. Sort of the passing of the torch from Pelosi to uh, Jeffries. And they were quite happy with that. So uh, we've got to figure out a way to go ahead and unite on the other side or there is not going to be a24 and uh, this is not a good start uh, at that uh, former representative bob barr says republican disarray will hurt the gop and the conservatives dan crenshaw ridicules narcissists who oppose mccarthy for speaker um so you see a lot of attacks of each other to kick things off and um well then you've got uh, guys in my opinion someone who shouldn't be a republican whatsoever uh, this gay man elected in New York who is a complete and total fraudster. His name, George Santos. And uh, apparently he was married to a woman just a year and a half ago. Not to be believed, he's now living with a man and his dog, I suppose. He didn't have any of these uh, things inside his, um, I don't know, what, what whatever you call it, his his companies. He didn't have this history. Apparently he's not Jewish. I mean, it, it is as bad as that. Instead of us focusing on Hunter Biden, instead of, uh, of us focusing on the things that we can attack the left on, we're having to defend people like George Santos and the Democrats are laughing at us. Folks, do not defend this man. He should be removed. Uh, heck, even uh, some of the new people who have come in and said George Santos should not be uh, uh, sworn in. I certainly hope that he's not. But Hey, if you're going to go ahead and elect, uh, uh, bring in uh, McCarthy, might as well bring in uh, George Santos uh, while we're at it. All right, hour one in the books, hour two just for you. Broadcasting studio. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. A little train in vain here in the Kiva. Hour two, up next. Thanks for listening. Live 24 hours a day, Monday through Saturday, The Rock of Dog, AM 1600 KIVA, Albuquerque. Albuquerque's macro aggression. Eddie Aragon, the Rock of Talk. All right, second hour here in the Kiva here on this Tuesday night. Uh, for many of you, the first day of the year. One of the things I used to yell out uh, when I was doing my show, and uh, it would be 505 in the 505. Uh, that is no more. I'm glad to kind of see that go. Everything should uh, be passing on one form or another. Don't forget, you can check me out on Roku TV, Amazon Fire, Apple TV. I am live. You are welcome to go ahead and text in uh, if you like. 550-5500 on the five line in the 505. Uh, you can also download the apps at rockoftalk.tv and rockoftalk.com. Apple, Android, all that stuff uh, available uh, there for you. And we'll go ahead and podcast uh, this first episode uh, of this uh, soon-to-be national show. So very excited about that and the opportunity that exists in this time slot for me. Uh, my partners and the people that I've been working with and uh, putting this together. It takes a long time. You don't just uh, show up one day and decide to go ahead and say, hey, you know what? I want to be on the radio. I'd be really good. I'd be a really good radio host. Uh, folks, I've had 12 
New Year's uh, in the Kiva. So uh, think about how long that has been. I've spent a lot of time, a lot of time on air, um, sort of honing my craft and uh, all this for you. Covered a lot in the first hour. Um, if you encapsulate all of that, and I look forward to doing that and uh, sort of uh, squishing it down so that everyone can digest it within two to three minutes, uh, roughly, uh, so that people know what's going on. People are busy. Uh, they have places to go, things to do, you know, lives to live. And I want to go ahead and make sure that they have an understanding rather than just all the noise and say, oh, yeah, the Republicans are. No, it's a principled argument. You need to know who has said what and why and uh, where all the sides are. So you have a better understanding so you can walk away. If I can demonstrate that understanding to you, then you can go out and advocate for whatever it is uh, that you want to advocate for. I don't know how you're going to feel about what I say, uh, nor do I really care. I do care that you are informed and you can make better decisions uh, with better information. And uh, many times hearing it from the horse's mouth. Uh, I will tell you this, uh, Tucker Carlson is the best. Uh, there is no one better, in my opinion, uh, who has uh, reflected, in my opinion, the soul of what things should be here as we are on the precipice four years here to four to the 250th anniversary birthday celebration uh, of this country. And so we've got a lot to work towards uh, more than just 2024. We're trying to get to 2026. So uh, devastatingly last night uh, <clears throat> amidst my first sort of quasi broadcast uh, of this, uh, a terrible event uh, happened. And it was live on TV, and uh, it was unfortunate for the family and uh, for the uh, person himself uh, who, well, it's debatable, right? We don't know why or how or if or what. And, you know, this was DeMar Hamilton or Hamlin, excuse me, not Hamilton. He's a defensive back. He continues to remain in critical condition. He suffered a cardiac arrest, and his heart actually stopped following a tackle on the Monday night football game. Now you're going to hear a lot of left and right, uh, you know, differences of opinion. Now, for those of you who think that uh, Twitter is unbiased, all you had to look was at last night. Was it DeMar, the coverage of, tw of Twitter or the coverage of DeMar Hamilton from Twitter? It was so incredibly one-sided. It was so bleeding hard. It was so disgusting. It literally just washed out any conversation whatsoever about the fact that this could have been a um, <clears throat> myocarditis or vaccine-induced or a, va a vaccident, as we're now referring it to. Um, this could not have been a possibility, even on Twitter. So, Elon Musk, shove it up your ass. I am sick and tired of hearing about you, and now you're commie number two uh, in line over at Tesla. You Republicans and you conservatives who continue to advocate for uh, Elon Musk make me absolutely sick. Make me sick. I will never be on Twitter. I have no interest in Twitter. It is run by the government. It's run by Elon Musk, who is subsidized uh, by all that. So as far as I'm concerned, I, I certainly hope, I certainly hope that you find a better place to go. And I would recommend TikTok, where people actually have to create and actually put stuff together before it gets uploaded rather than just a, a few snippets or here's a, a piece of my mind. I don't really care to hear it. I like things that are put together in an organized fashion uh, where you can digest them anywhere from 20 seconds to uh, three minutes. All right. That's what that, that's what I like. So sorry for the digression there.
Jordan Rooney, a family representative who described himself as a good friend of the player, told Good Morning America on Tuesday that Hamlin's relatives are in good spirits but going through a lot and need their privacy. Well, not so private um, was was actually coming out to talk about that. And I want to um, give you that the doctor for Damar Hamlin actually came out on Twitter. I recently administered Damar Hamlin's COVID booster on 1226. Here it is. And as a medical professional, this is Dr. Benjamin Eidelman, E-I-D-E-L-M-A-N, at Dr. B- Bene, let's see, B-E-N-E-I, Ben Eidelman. Uh, sorry. <laughs> see, you're trying to do this in real time, folks. He says, I can assure the public that he passed all screenings with flying colors. I am in contact with UCMC staff and will provide any assistance to them. I'm not sure exactly what UCMC is, but I'm assuming that that is the university or universe, uh, the hospital that is there. So everybody looking at this, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, all the lefties uh, are out there. <clears throat> and it says, Buffalo Bills, DeMar Hamlin hospitalized after collapsing in game. Hamlin collapsed during Monday night's game uh, at Cincinnati. Our thoughts are with DeMar and the Buffalo Bills. And you're like looking for anything at all. And here you have... Uh, the NFL executive vice president for football operations, Troy Vincent said, I've never seen anything like that. Had to resume play after you've seen such a traumatic event. And you saw him just literally fall over. Now, um, you should understand that there is not going to be a follow-up to this game. All right. And you're seeing all the bleeding hearts come out as they should, as they should. I'm not faulting them for feeling a little something in this, but it says, you know, football can wait for DeMar Hamlin, or we can kind of see what happens all this. Um, you had ESPN doing uh, their best CNN impression, according to the New York Times. Uh, ESPN at the center of the news, the way that they were covering, there was no mention. They did as much of a PC coverage uh, as possible, and uh, that's what you get. Now, I want to go ahead and uh, play a little uh, something for the people who are watching it. Rockoftalk.tv. Uh, that's rockoftalk.tv. And uh, you can go ahead and see what happened a little bit earlier. I'm going to I'm going to stop this about halfway, but I want this to lead into the conversation, a broader conversation uh, about somebody that we actually talk about. Dr. Peter McCullough, uh, who I had opportunity to meet over at CPAC. And uh, here is his thoughts on it. And he's a doctor that we've come to trust. And uh, he's been right on the vaccinations right from the very beginning. Take a listen here. tonight to assess. Doctor, thank you so much for coming on. So this is one of those phenomena that people who use social media are aware of because there are videos of it floating around. But I don't know when the last time I heard, if ever, an American public health authority address this directly and tell people, what is this? Is this real? Tell us your findings from your actual study on this. The concern here is that athletes at a professional level, Tucker, are carefully screened for underlying heart disease. The leading cause of sudden death on the playing field is hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. The athletes are screened for this. Uh, There are rare conditions, genetic abnormalities in heart rhythm uh, that can present. Uh, But sudden cardiac death should be a very unusual phenomenon. And as your report indicates, it's extremely unusual in the NFL since the high level of scrutiny. There's a differential diagnosis that doctors go through when this happens. I watched it live and then I watched the replay as a cardiologist. To me, it looked like he made a hard tackle. There was head and neck uh, impact. But he got up, he clapped his hands, and then he fell over backwards. It looked like a primary cardiac arrest 
Everything that was done on the field looked perfect. I think the duration of CPR resuscitation is going to be in a window where he can have neurologic recovery. Uh, the issue is what caused it. And the concern based on our research is that COVID-19 can cause myocarditis or heart damage. The heart damage in some cases can be asymptomatic and the initial presentation can be a cardiac arrest. There's other things in the differential, genetic abnormalities of heart rhythm disturbance, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, uh, a spinal cord type of interaction with the heart. But I think the leading concern here is vaccine-induced myocarditis, if indeed he's taken the vaccine. And boy, the family, the Bills doctors, and the current doctors at University of Cincinnati Medical So we'll leave it there. We'll bring it back. Uh, we'll hear more of that uh, when we return right here in the Cuba N3. Little suicidal tendencies uh, possessed here in the Kiva. And that is 9.18 Mountain Standard Time, 11.18 uh, Eastern Standard Time here in the Kiva. We'll continue with more people uh, in just a moment. But I think it should be uh, stated and reiterated that, that this is still open for interpretation. So we're not making any uh, past judgments on it. But we've also gotten to the point where we've never get to anything conclusively. And I think that's so much of the frustration, which allows for so much speculation. And uh, we're seeing from the VAERS uh, database and through a number of various other places that uh, we are seeing myocardial infarctions and myocarditis and, you know, sudden uh, died suddenly incidents. That's what happened with the uh, uh, Southwest Airlines and the pilots. No, it wasn't a lack of pilots. The pilots weren't going to work because they had heard what was happening. So let's pick it up with uh, more Peter McCullough, uh, who is very responsible and a cardiologist. So he would know and uh, leaving it open on both sides and uh, all possibilities within the realm, which is what intelligence people should be talking about is what is possible in the midst of all this. Center have a public health obligation to tell us if he's taken the vaccine. I think, that, I think that's that's fair um, in the coming days. Now, the CDC, it seems to me, since the absolute number... Now, now we do have, again, uh, I, I want to reiterate, we know that he took the vaccination um, based upon Eidelman, Dr. Eidelman, Ben Eidelman, his uh, doctor on the 26th. He got the booster on the 26th of December. Also, it's a requirement. It's a requirement for the NFL to have actually have taken, you might remember famously, uh, Aaron Rodgers' Uh, battling back against the uh, shot as well as the booster. ...of heart incidents among young people are dramatically up across the West, and the CDC, as far as I know, has not been honest enough to address this. They sent out a tweet the other day saying, you know, you may be struggling with blood clots if you're a young athlete. I don't remember athletes struggling with young blood clots. It seems to me like they're trying to tell us this is normal. Is it normal for young athletes to have life-threatening blood clots? We should never have our agencies try to normalize side effects. The FDA says the vaccines cause myocarditis and heart damage. Autopsy studies show it can be and is fatal. The same is true for blood clots and neurologic damage. Our agencies should be protecting the health of Americans and safety yeah. is job one. I'm disappointed that they're minimizing it. Yeah. I mean, I think honesty is a prerequisite for trust. When people are honest, you can trust them. But when they lie to you consistently, you can't. Um, so we appreciate your coming on tonight. Dr. Peter McCullough, thank you. All right, good stuff, uh, Tucker. Again, doing a great job uh, for the rest of all the conservative talk out there, in my opinion. That's a very important interview, very quick, to the point, and uh, opening it up for broader discussion uh, so we, that we can explore both sides of this rather than come to this conclusion, this race to it's anything but... And that's what you're seeing from all of Twitter. That's what we're seeing from mainstream media, that uh, this is some sort of other type of cardio incident uh, that had happened. 
and everyone just uh, saying affirmatively, that's what it is, and don't try to argue, and anything to the contrary is uh, insulting uh, to the family. Now, I don't think that the family would necessarily feel that way. Uh, I think the family, you know, would want to get to the bottom of this, whatever it happens to be, um, if that would also include, you know, getting the vaccination, right? Getting the vaccination leading to this particular incident. I mean, after all, he's a 24-year-old, healthy, world-class athlete. You, that is uh, inarguable. <laughs> you, you, you can't in any way, shape or form, try to argue any of that kind of stuff. And, you know, the mainstream media is going to go ahead and do what it can to demonize the people who are the anti-vaxxers. That we're the bad people. And, and they, in the midst of them spiking the football on the disunity of the Republicans, this is where they went to today because it's just low hanging fruit because it is the tyranny of the mob in their collective opinion of you to demonize you because you did not take the vaccination. That's exactly what they did earlier today. Created this and they deserve it. Claire, um, I, you know, what is it? The, the nine stage, 11 stages of grief. You know, I, I, I got past um, real grief at watching a party I had served and for many years helped build turn into a coalition that is exactly as David Jelly describes, one that makes room and space and holds space in its coalition for white nationalists, white supremacists, um, and the very same groups who are now targets of domestic violent extremism in this country, not to mention anti-vaxxers who have the deaths of thousands of Americans on their hands. I mean, it, it has become a wash in everything that is dark. That and you believe this is the conversation that they have? I mean, it, it literally just bombing away white nationalists, Nazis, all of this uh, anti-vaccine, like just stick them all in the box of deplorables, right? According to Hillary Clinton is the same uh, conversation that you're having right there. They have not moved on from that. In fact, they feel more emboldened, particularly after an event that happens where everybody watches it at the same time. The most watched event of the week is generally a football game in a collective environment. And for everybody to immediately pass judgment and then to use it as a way to divide and go against and make us responsible as if we had something to do with that man falling on the field because we may have a difference of opinion about why he fell on the field. That's ridiculous. That said, I'm not sure that I could articulate the differences between these 19 and what Kevin McCarthy stands for. What, in your view, was sort of the breakdown? And again, I don't feel sorry for Kevin McCarthy, but I'm intrigued that even he didn't seem to see today coming. McCarthy. Well, you know, well, in the midst of all of that, as they're watching that, that's how they move from one object to the other. It's sickening, right? That's their coverage. But they went to last night and they went to this anti-vaxxing, white nationalism and all into one giant box. I mean, there's no rationale or reasoning there. It's just lumping, branding, labeling and then throwing them out. They could throw us into the concentration camps. They absolutely would. That's what they think of us. That's the value they hold for us, which is nil, zilch, zero. They don't want us around. I mean, how about a more reasonable discussion? How about just, you know, we're talking about, you know, a football player talking to his family, talking to, you know, people that would want to, you know, sort of, you know, Give us a more human approach uh, to all of this. Uh, take a listen. This is a little bit more human uh, and a little bit more emotional and reaction 
uh, induced uh, from you where you're like, okay, I see what's going on. This is, this is sad. And everybody wants answers. We're not getting answers. We got politics the very next day. More of these events have happened because as I played for you last night, nothing to see here, Mark Stein, you saw all of that. And these events have happened across the pond in Europe, in Britain and everywhere. But we can acknowledge them collectively in front of, uh, I don't know, 330 million people. In the intensive care unit in critical condition. And I want to go now to Adrian Broadus because, Adrian, you are the one who's had the chance here to speak to uh, his family, his uncle, and, and learning this crucial, this crucial development about he, him having to be resuscitated twice. What did he tell you? He said the family is heartbroken. I spoke with him right here at the corner of the hospital. I approached him in full transparency. When I walked by, I heard him speaking on the phone with someone, and he was describing how his heart dropped. And initially, I thought this person might have been a player. I noticed he had on a visitor tag, and then I asked him uh, if he was a player, and he said, no, my nephew is inside. And here's more of that conversation. Um, he's still sedated right now. Um, they just want him to have a better chance of uh, recovering better. So they felt that if he's sedated, his body can heal a lot faster um, than if he was, if he was um, woke and um, possibly cause other complications. So they, they got him sedated right now. And um, I mean, it's just heartbreaking seeing him like that, right? I mean, you know, just the, we were in Pittsburgh watching it on TV and his little brother was there with us. And um, when he seen his brother drop like that, and when I tell you, I never seen him cry or scream like that. Like we were trying to calm him down. Like, yo, it's okay. You know, he'll gonna get back up. He'll be back in the game. You know, we'll do the woo. Next thing you know, it's 10 minutes later, they're doing chest compressions. It's a half hour later. They still not playing yet. I'm like, yo, what's going on? What's wrong with my nephew? And then like, when I say like, now we were all in the room crying. Man, we were all in tears, man. And I'm not a crier, but like I, I never crashed so hard in my life, man. Just just to know like like my nephew basically died on the field and they brought him back to life. I mean, that's just heartbreaking. And, and to see all those grown men crying and all the emotion, man, it just it, it really was a gut punch, man. And I would have been crying no matter who it was, but for it to be my nephew, it just it had that much more impact on me, man. And I'm just glad he's just still alive and able to fight um and trying to get better and recover. You told me off camera your nephew died twice. Can you explain? Well, his heart had went out, so um, they had to resuscitate him twice. They resuscitated him on the field before they brought him to the hospital, and then they resuscitated him a second time when he got to the hospital. So um, I just want to show my gratitude for the medical uh, staff that were on hand because if not for them, my nephew probably wouldn't even be here. And An abundance of gratitude for the medical staff here. He also described what he has seen inside of the hospital. He said his nephew is flipped over on his stomach, and he told me that is to help with the blood on his lungs. He also says the next step is for doctors to get his nephew to breathe on his own. And he said he was only outside because he needed to get some fresh air. He told me he has been in this hospital all day, overnight with his family, including Damar's mother, who rode in the ambulance with her 24-year-old son yesterday. Back to you. Adrian, thank you very much. And they can't even think for a sec that it could be anything beyond that. A, a man, 24 years of age, uh, turning this into speculation that this could be only the thing that they say it is and not what the other thing it is. And 
doesn't it put the entirety of the uh, rest of the NFL, the National Football League, at risk in one form or another? From the one standpoint that they could be at risk if they took the same type of hit as somebody else, or if the same type of that Hamlet took, or if they all got the shot, much like he did as well. So it, it is incumbent upon the NFL to get to the bottom of this. They should not play another game until they resolve this. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Back in five. A little Depeche Mode there for you. Uh, enjoy the silence. The silence uh, lasted a long time. The stadium of silence uh, last night uh, as it existed, and uh, people were stunned, and and uh, the words were very unnecessary uh, to describe. Uh, Joe Buck and the rest of the crew that were there, there's nothing that they could have said or done uh, to sort of, um, I don't know, console the people that were watching uh, an event. And, and really at the bottom of it all is that people just wanted to know what was happening to DeMar Hamlin? And uh, could it also happen to them? Uh, a number of cardiac uh, cardiac experts uh, also weighed in on all of this. And, you know, again, you know, leave it to Tucker to have to go ahead and figure out a way to get to the bottom uh, of this. And, you know, I couldn't figure it out. I was watching TikTok last night. I was seeing some of the people who were pushing their stuff out on YouTube and pushing out all their information because it was just seemed like a cover-up right from the very beginning. Uh, that that's what it looked like to me at least, but you know, I'm not a cardiac expert. I don't know any of these, these types of things. So, um, the playoffs are coming up, you know, that's important to anybody who is an NFL fan. Um, but to watch these players go through these types of emotions on the field in front of millions of people watching them has got to be, you know, you know, pretty, pretty rough. I think for all of us, I think it's all going to be in the back of our minds right on all through the Super Bowl. I can imagine the entirety of all the coverage between now and then going back to how Hamlin's doing. Uh, you, you saw the outpouring of support for people who are feeling compassion and feeling moved to donate. Uh, I think they donated somewhere upwards of four and a half, five million dollars to his toy charity last night. That's how people, that's how we react. That's when America is at its best. Now, I'm not saying go out and donate. Uh, you donate if you like. Uh, you don't have to, 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 to do that. But you know, um, taking the game off the table because of the impact of what had happened uh, shows just, you know, I think how confused and emotionally swollen from this uh, we all are. So, you know, I do want to delve more into what's happening with the COVID-19, the vaccines and what we're learning and what we know. And really that's, I think, should be at the forefront is talking about the data, talking about the real stories and not trying to just you know, couch it and say that it's something, anything but the thing that they hope that we say that it is. And we're not hoping for that. This is what the outcome we're on. We, this is why we don't take the vaccines. These aren't why we don't want other people to take the vaccines because we don't want other people to die. And there has been a considerable amount of data that is coming out that has shown exactly that. We've seen the on-field collapses of other types of athletes and other endeavors. Like I stated, from mountain biking to soccer to basketball to and, and you know, a broader age ranges from 14, 15, 16 years old, right up to 45, 50 years of age. These are healthy, competitive, athletic individuals. Now we've got a world-class athlete in critical condition. Sort of defies all logic, doesn't it? There was a, uh, you know, <clears throat> a, a very heavy unhealthy offensive lineman. It was really like you know, refrigerator Perry. I don't know. Take your pick of, of who it, it would have been. You would have been like, okay, I could see that happening. 
It was the man's 350 pounds that ultimately killed him. But we heard from Hamlin's uncle. We heard about well, what he was saying. He wasn't getting into all of that, but he does want some answers. And don't they all want, you know, he remains on a ventilator. He collapsed mid-game. He's on a ventilator as we speak. Here you go, folks. The anti-vaxxers are bad. Hamlin's uncle comes out and, um, you know, we heard all about the uh, possibility of a vax-induced event that could have happened from um, from Dr. Peter McCullough, McCullough who I met at uh, CPAC, who I think put it right in front of us that this was a very strong possibility. Now, let's go ahead and uh, hear from As Dr. we said, Ronnie more on that story in just a minute. I think we need to hear that. But first tonight, as you have likely seen, in the first quarter of the NFL's Monday night football game last night, a player for the Buffalo Bills called DeMar Hamlin collapsed on the field. He made what appeared to be a routine tackle, then stood up for a second before he crumbled backwards to the ground. It was awful. On ESPN, announcers said they'd never seen anything like it in their entire careers. You played this game for the majority of your life, and then after that, you've been calling these games. First of all, I've never seen no. anything like this. This is uncharted water really for everyone. Right. 20 years. I, I've never felt what I'm feeling right now. I haven't seen what we have been watching for the last 10, 15 minutes. And uh, it just puts things in perspective real quick. You probably see the tape. You may have been watching live. It's hard to overstate the drama. The Buffalo Bills announced afterward that DeMar Hamlin went into cardiac arrest on the field. Trainers performed CPR on him for roughly nine minutes. It was horrible. And the players on the field, to their great credit, responded not as competitors, but as human beings, compassionate ones. They came together in prayer for the fallen player. DeMar Hamlin is now in critical condition in a hospital in Cincinnati, and it's unclear, sadly, whether he will survive. So that is what we know. It's tragic. What don't we know? Well, what we don't know could fill volumes, starting with why DeMar Hamlin had a heart attack on a football field. We do not know the answer, and there is no way to know the answer. We're not going to lie to you and pretend we do know the answer. But that has not stopped many others from lying to you. Hamlin was still lying on the field receiving CPR when self-described medical experts in the media, people with no demonstrated medical ethics at all, effectively witch doctors, decided to use his tragic life-threatening injuries as an opportunity to spread still more propaganda about the COVID shots. It could not have been the shot, they told you. Shut up. But they're lying. They don't know that. They don't know anything more than we know, which is effectively nothing. We can't say it was the shot. We can't say it wasn't the shot. We don't know whether he got the shot. We don't know, and neither do they. So why are they telling you they know something they don't? Well, it's not the first time, of course. So tonight, in the appropriate spirit of humility, we're going to speak to actual medical experts and scientists, people who are willing to follow the data, ask relevant questions, regardless of political pressure. Getting to the truth is the essence of science. We're going to try to practice it tonight. One of the people we're going to speak to is cardiologist Peter McCullough. He's done a lot of research on the number of young people, particularly athletes, who've experienced heart attacks and other serious cardiac events in the past two years. You're not imagining that there has been a surge in heart injuries among the young. And the media have mostly ignored this. We're not sure why. We're not sure the cause. We're not going to pretend we are sure. We do know it's real and it's scary. And when young people start dying, we ought to pay attention. So in a few moments, we're going to talk to Peter McCullough about what this is. And, and so you got all of that. So I think we're at a good sort of stopping point on all this. And I think what we need to start exploring is some of the information that we see on our side rather than them tell us the way that it is. Okay, because 
it couldn't possibly be the vaccine is not the answer that we're necessarily looking for. If it's a possibility that it is or it isn't, let's get to the bottom of it. But like everything else that happens in front of people, there's going to be two sides to a story. It's going to be politicized. And we're going to do the irresponsible thing in all this and not honor what's actually happened uh, to the man himself because there will be other parties who stood, stand to benefit or not benefit from what has happened. And we have to be more logical about this. And, you know, uh, we're, we're looking at a lot of different things uh, now politically. And it seems like everything is, well, Democrats versus Republicans. And, you know, there doesn't seem to be sort of like a middle or rationale, if you will. And I want to get away from the word middle. I just want to say what seems more logical uh, what seems to be the most, uh, you know, uh, Occam's razor, uh, you know, the simplest uh, way of, of approaching the answer to this, because the further we delve into what we want to go to ideologically one way or the other, the further away we move from probably the reality of what it is. I can't say for sure in every instance, but I would say that that's a pretty good rule of thumb. So, you know, whether it's the non-governmental organizations like the CDC or, um, I, I don't know, any other collective medical uh, group that's out there that's giving us advice on things. We've known that we cannot trust them. We knew that we could not trust Dr. Fauci. We know that we cannot trust the government on any of this, even with their experts, however highly that they may be paid. And so, you know, we, 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 we are now seeing that there are hundreds of safety signals for Pfizer and Moderna COVID-19 vaccines. Also in China, uh, you are seeing an infection rate exceeding 50%. And the white lung is now flooding Chinese social media amid a COVID spike. So we got to start exploring some of these uh, places where the origin of all this is. We'll do that right after the break right here in the Kiva. Thanks everybody for tuning in to the Rock of Talk. Rock of Talk. All right, second hour, after the hour here in the broadcasting to be here with uh, you. Western United States and soon to be throughout the rest of the country uh, right here in the Kiva. Broadcasting every night because we have these warm-up shows here for the uh, next couple of months. And uh, looking forward to working with my partners uh, getting this property that we call the Kiva and the Rocket Hawk off the ground uh, here for you. So we can carry for tomorrow's news today. Uh, we'll be ahead of everybody uh, tomorrow. So you get your inbox and ready to go if you like. Um, folks, uh, there's no know anything. I think everyone is substacked out. Everyone is subscribed out there, buried in just a, a BS information that continues to just come out uh, from people. And we have to approach this, I think, logically better, uh, less ideologically, and uh, look for answers. Great music there from Rancid, uh, Ruby Soho, uh, there by Rancid. Uh, notice a little bit of a punk theme here on this Tuesday. You'll always hear the good punk music here on a Tuesday evening here at the rock of talk okay so we've got to get to the bottom of what's happening around the world and let's get back to the vaccine uh, the hamlin um injury uh, if you will and we we certainly are praying for him and his family and his uncle and his mother and everybody who's uh, obviously uh, deeply affected by this but we do have to get to the bottom of what is actually out there and that's where all of you start to come in okay because we are starting to find out that there's a heck of a lot more about the vaccines and how they're impacted than you or I even know. According to the CDC, they've identified hundreds of safety signals for the two most widely administered COVID-19 vaccines, according to monitoring results obtained by the Epic Times. 
Bell's palsy, blood clotting, death among the signals flagged through analysis of adverse reports submitted to the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, or as we refer to it here as the VAERS system. Uh, everybody is supposed to be focused on that. That's what we should be focused on. The CDC, which runs VAERS with the Food and Drug Administration, describes it as the nation's early warning system for vaccine issues. A primary analysis compared the reports made specific events suffered after receipt of a Moderna or Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine to the reports lodged following vaccination when any other vaccine or non-COVID-19 vaccines. The signals mean the condition may be linked to the vaccine. Signals require further analysis to confirm a possible link. Now, the CDC and the FDA stated that the operating procedure documents that officials would monitor VAERS to identify potential new safety concerns for COVID-19 vaccines with CDC performing what's called a PRR analysis. They've issued multiple statements on the data mining, but ultimately acknowledged that it didn't start performing the monitoring technique until mid-2022, more than one year after the Pfizer-Moderna vaccines were authorized. So all this stuff is now coming through. The agency's record office is keeping all of this information, and it's showing that, folks, there are some safety signals for Pfizer and Moderna, Bell's palsy, blood clotting, and death among the signals that have been all flagged through the vaccine adverse event reporting system. So there you go. Okay. This is not public knowledge, but if the government is still encouraging people to get boosters and get vaccines and having knowledge that this is taking place, then that makes them liable for what is happening to the people who have adverse reactions to this. Remember, people are taking that, these vaccines to stay alive, not clot shots so that they can commit suicide, okay? You have to understand that this is fascism at its worst. This is when corporations like Pfizer and Moderna are coming together with the government with zero responsibility. Let's not forget that they also didn't want to notify you for 75 years, okay? 75 years they didn't want to let you know that this wanted to come through. They weren't going to let you know the contents of this stuff. So this stuff should be pulled off. Now, we're all fighting against the Chinese virus. So let's go to China, shall we? And let's see what's happening where, you know, uh, they've had a <laughs> minuscule amount of infections compared to what we have had. And now, all of a sudden, as they're about to open up, as you're going to find out, their society is now opening up. Okay. It seems like they want it to go ahead and spread. The rate of COVID-19 infections may have exceeded 50% in Chinese provinces and large cities and reached as high as 80% in Beijing. Let me repeat that. COVID-19 infections may have exceeded 50% in Chinese provinces and 80% in Beijing. That's according to health experts and officials. They paint a grim Grim picture that the nation's central authorities disclosed and fueling distrust around the world. According to Zhang Wenhong, the director of the National Center for Infectious Diseases, he said on December 29th, the infection rate of current COVID wave is very high with many large cities seeing it exceed 50%. And it's grappling with an explosive COVID-19 outbreak on the heels of abrupt retreat from the zero COVID policy long championed by the Chinese Communist Party. Now, it should be stated that we are restricting travel to China during this time. Simultaneously in China, I will have you know, China is looking to open up their society for the first time in a thousand plus days. 
where people can buy and sell and go to markets because they don't want to deal with, or maybe they want to spread the infections. I don't know what's going on. Very limited information coming out of a communist country. Okay. Now, there's protests against the curbs that were set by the CCP. And then all of a sudden, you notice that the government just stopped all those efforts to control the pandemic altogether. After they did that, then you see this massive spread. So I don't know what was really true or if it was already there or if they're just manufacturing this information or they're expecting it to go ahead and spread. I I don't know what the intent is. I don't know what's the right blend of cynicism and, you know, uh, science and prevention and, and, and all of this. According to Zheng Guang, former chief epidemiologist of the Center for Disease Control and Prevention in China, he said, we didn't expect the first wave to be this feminine. Over 80% of Beijing residents, 17.6 million people have already been infected with COVID. The percentage could be even higher, he added. It's hard to know the exact number of COVID infections or deaths in China. That should be scary to you. We don't know the number of deaths. Hmm. Another massive pop depopulation campaign. Not really sure. So here, this report coming out today, just a couple of hours ago. Okay. A former anchor of Chinese state broadcaster, CCTV started dozing off more frequently during the day on air. Bandang. This wasn't uncommon for someone in their 80s. The man's mind was clear and his appetite was good as ever, but what's happening to him is happening to a number of other people in China. Family used a pulse oximeter out of caution. They found that his blood oxygen level dangerously low at 88%. Not sure if anybody has ever you know, looked at those long uh, oxygenization, oxygen, oxygenization levels. <laughs> I'm going to have a hard time saying that, okay? The blood oxygen, all right? I think if you're below like 94, that's too low. I think uh, a healthy is 95 plus. I could be wrong. I, I know it needs to be somewhere in the 90s. If it's in the 80s, it's, you're, you're too weak, okay? That's 4% below the threshold requiring medical attention. So apparently the medical attention is 92%. So by the time they got him to the hospital, his blood oxygen levels had plunged to their 60s. He died after three nights in the hospital. They're now attributing this to something that is now widespread in China. The man shared his account on social media, which had been flooded with similar stories of family and friends and victims who allegedly presented the same symptoms in their lungs. They're calling it white lung. It is a top trending word on Chinese social media amid the expansive COVID outbreak sweeping China. As I stated before, more than 50, maybe more than 80% in Beijing. It has sparked fears that the virus has mutated or that earlier strains of COVID are driving the latest outbreak. The elderly weren't the only group reportedly presented with white lung syndrome. Recent Chinese media reports also and social media reports have described patients from as young as 12 years of age to some in their 30s having white lung syndrome. The death rate is 40% for those with serious cases of white lung and even for people who do recover. Folks, this is another form of pneumonia. I've had pneumonia one time in my life. It was the sickest I had ever been. And it was called walking pneumonia. 
All serious pneumonia will cause white lung, according to Zhang Wenhong, director of the Infectious Diseases Department of the Hushan Hospital in Fudan. Even though the proportion of white lung patients is not high because of the significant cardinal number, the number of white lung cases we observe clinically has continued to increase. Anecdotal evidence will certainly start permeating as you get more stories from family and friends and other people that are out there. So some things that are on the horizon, don't say that you didn't hear it here first uh, here in the Kiva and that we didn't tell you. But folks, the adverse reactions that are coming from the Pfizer, Moderna, COVID-19 vaccines to the fact that people are getting reintroduced despite being vaxxed and boosted and then developing other types of ailments, which could lead to things like white lung. Now, let's not forget the number of Chinese that are vaccinated is unbelievable. Look up those numbers. We'll have those for you at the top of the third hour. We've got a lot to get to here in this third hour. Uh, so much news, other things that we want to go ahead and cover. And I'll do that when we return. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to the inaugural edition. Live 24 hours a day, Monday through Saturday, The Rock of Talk, AM 1600 KIVA, Albuquerque. A third hour here of The Rock of Talk in the Kiva out of Albuquerque on AM 1600 KIVA, rockoftalk.com, Roku TV, Amazon Fire, and Apple TV. If you want to watch me, if you want to just hear me on delay, well, you can do that on Twitter, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And uh, don't forget to download the rockoftalk.tv, rockoftalk.com. Um, uh, once again, lots to cover here in our third hour. Top the hour news didn't fire. Nothing I can do about that. Uh, engineers coming in tomorrow. So, boy, this uh, running the radio thing. <laughs> There's a lot to it. I own the radio station. I created 65 other radio stations uh, on the app. I do a show. I sell the advertising. I do it all. Uh, in fact, maybe I should just uh, kind of rewrite or, or tell you what I wrote today uh, to kind of put it all out there so that you guys see here. Um, by the way, this is a sensor-free uh, hour three. If you want to jump in on that, I'll go ahead and open up the uh, phone lines at 550-5500. I should probably make sure that I'm all forwarded to uh, for that. Um, what that means is I don't have to put on a delay. So if you're angry about something and you get out something, um, well, you get it out. There's not a little to nothing that I'm going to do about that here uh, during my third hour as we have a live uh, call-in show, uh, which I'll take more and more. As the time goes on, I don't know if your reaction to the Hamlin thing in hour two, or if you want to talk about the uh, speaker of the house in uh, hour number one. Uh, anyway, I went and uh, rewrote sort of the uh, bio and all this. There you go. You get some calls in. Um, here we are. It says uh, live 161 out of 168 hours a week, live and or local. So that's pretty cool. We got that stuff out there. And I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud to be able to assemble and put that much uh, live programming uh, that's out there. Excited for the financial news, uh, especially. Uh, let's see. Uh, Rewritten bio. Rock of Talk, Eddie Aragon, works hard. And notice that the Rock of Talk, Eddie Aragon, works hard to bring you the best in live or local talk radio programming. From Sunday at noon through Sunday at 3 a.m., that's 161 straight hours of live and or local programming. You also get to hear my Rock of Talk show live 8 to 11 p.m. Monday through Friday. And 65 music stations available on the apps for Android and or Apple. 
or listen online and on air at abq.fm, AM 1600 KIVA. You can also say, Alexa, play ABQ FM. All my local programming can be found on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. I'm also on TV, Roku, Apple, and Amazon Fire. Just search The Rock of Talk if you like what I do. Give me five bucks a day, a month, a year, uh, or maybe just a one-time high five. Uh, you can text me directly anytime on the five line at 505-550-5500. At and uh, there you go. It says, who is The Rock of Talk? What's my station, lineup, apps, and show? Rock of Talk is my trademark media company based on little old Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I came up with the concept of ABQ.FM, and I own the terrestrial radio station, AM 1600 KIVA. It is also the name of my talk radio program. ABQ.FM ABQ.FM features 65 stations via the web at ABQ.FM. I have built these radio stations for my listeners anywhere in the world. And, of course, here in Albuquerque, I've also have my mobile app for iPhone and Android devices, which feature all of my stations, show archive news, and link to my TV app at Rock of Talk. Excuse me.com. You can also say Alexa play ABQ.FM. So here's the Rock of Talk ABQ.FM AM 1600 KIV lineup as of January 1st, 2023. 12 to 3 a.m. Coast to Coast AM, 3 to 4. America's first news with Gordon Deal. 4 to 7 a.m. Bloomberg Daybreak and Surveillance. Uh, good shows, by the way, especially for you early uh, risers, uh, financial guys. 7 to 10, Glenn Beck live. All this is live. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton live. Sean Hannity 1 to 4 live. Jesse Kelly 4 to 7 live. Bill O'Reilly, 7 to 8, live. 8 to 11, The Rock of Talk, Eddie Aragon, that's me. And then 11 to 12 a.m., Coast to Coast a.m. That's Monday through Friday, folks. Then Saturday, uh, Coast to Coast a.m., and you have Front Lines of Freedom, 3 to 5 a.m. Law Enforcement Today, 5 to 7 a.m., that's also live. And then you have Saturdays in the Salon with Jim Hammond. That's a pre-recorded local show. Real Grande Foundation, same with that, with Paul Guessing, Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. ABQ Real Estate Talk with Tigo and Tracy. Credit Rescue with Mike Ramos. Commercial Real Estate with... Walt Arnold, Your Money Matters with Michael Trujillo, Life Imagined, Dr. Summers, Freedom Families with Casey, Liberty Lovers with Nat and Jaybird, uh, Off the Cuff with Dinah, Arc Midnight, John B. Wells, and Coast to Coast AM. And then you have Coast to Coast AM until you have Somewhere in Time with Art Bell, which is uh, the best of. My friend Chris Boros uh, back in Virginia puts it together directly uh, for Coast to Coast AM. He's a good guy. He used to run KUNM here locally. Jeremy Menacucci. Uh, the Lutheran Hour, 7.30 a.m. Legacy Church with Steve Smotherman, 8 to 9. Hometown Heroes, uh, 9 to 10. It's new time. Sons of Liberty Radio with Bradley Dean, 10 to noon. Gun Talk with Tom Gresham, uh, 12 to 3. Alex Jones Sunday, 3 to 5. Ben Ferguson, 5 to 8. And then you have uh, Bloomberg Intelligence and Wall Street Week, uh, which is live uh, from 8 to 11 uh, p.m. and then coast to coast a.m. and then it all begins once again. So I'm very proud of uh, assembling and putting all this stuff together. Hopefully you will be a listener and uh, feel free to go ahead and support me however you see fit. Caller, you're in the Kiva. Go ahead. Make the cut. Oh, go ahead. There you go. So now we got you on. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Hey. Um, I guess Clyde Lewis didn't make the cut. Clyde Lewis definitely did not make the cut. Uh, Clyde, uh, uh, let me let me tell you what uh, the reason why for Clyde. There's two reasons. One is his provider, and uh, two, he's uh, really kind of redirecting everything to online listening. So everything is doing. He's promoting this aftermath FM. Are you are you aware of that? I I, I have seen him on YouTube a few times. Yeah, he's um, doing a lot of aftermath.fm. Uh, so he's uh, doing a lot of subscriptions. I feel like we're sort of cutting into that uh, right. with what he's doing. And, you know, he's live 8 to 11. Then he's doing this, like, forum after where he's taking calls and all that kind of stuff. So I've carried Clyde for a long time. 
Um, he has a hard time sort of getting to a point. I love the theatrics and the uh, sort of uh, cinema of the mind that he creates. I mean, obviously, his bottom of the hour cuts where you get about a minute to a minute and a half of uh, some theatrics that he assembles and puts together. So it was probably some of the best radio imaging I've ever heard, and I'm sure you agree with that. But he did not make the cut, no. Does he does he play a lot of uh, Smashing Pumpkins and some of his... Uh lead-ins or segues yeah i would probably just subscribe at uh aftermath.fm if you're looking for that and you can get that on podcast you get his newsletter so you can get uh all of that stuff uh for from clyde lewis so it's it's all right there so you could you can listen all the time uh if you'd like but yeah i think for me i think it's a little bit uh, too far out there um for what we're going to into 24 and 26 Uh, i mean it's so just out of its mind some days where it never arrives at a point. And, you know, I think the argumentative stuff, I think is a little bit too much for me too. So those are probably the two reasons I, I, he's one of my favorite guys. I I probably listen to him as much as I listen to anybody, but I don't want to cut into his bottom line with what he's trying to do with aftermath.fm. Did you say that Daniel Ash was going to be featured on on your Saturday program? I have no use for Daniel Ash. I think she's a terrible radio host. I think she is a even worse, uh, political analyst. Um, Probably one of the over uh, most, I don't even know how to describe her. I think she is probably one of the most overblown radio hosts there is. I mean, just because she looks the way that she does doesn't mean that someone should give her a radio program. Uh, She deserves to be on Fox News uh, where she can be describing the news of the day. But, I mean, her impact, uh, especially over the last couple of years, has been like zilch. I mean, you didn't even, same with Ben Shapiro. He was, and he's cut down to one hour. Um, he is not made for radio. So if you want to go ahead and drink through a fire hose and, you know, <laughs> slow it down by 50% and try to consume what he's doing, then I think he's your guy. But, you know, other than what he's done in his debates at university, like I'll take Charlie Kirk 10 times before I'll take uh, Ben Shapiro. That's just oh, the yeah. way that I Charlie, feel. Yeah. Charlie, Charlie Kirk, is he's riding a wave of, of uh, popularity these days. Yeah, I like Charlie Kirk, you know. Yeah. Uh, and he tries hard. He works hard. He cares about what he does. Ben doesn't care. Ben cares yeah. about his bottom line. I think Charlie's uh, far more invested in things, and you know he's a good young man. So. It's too bad about Dana, though. When she first started, she was she was pretty. Yeah, uh, pretty, she's attractive on, on track. Right? Yeah, she, she's attractive. She's got some things about her, but you know her her. Well, shop, I mean, yeah. Good looks aside, I mean, she she's <laughs> she's intelli- she's intelligent, and uh, she had she had a good thing going there for a while. She can't carry a show on her own. Uh, yeah. Her show is, uh, you know, interactions with other people. And, you know, I could tell you, you know, interviews overblown, a two-sided show. We've got that covered with Clay and Buck. You know, Glenn does a probably one of the most interesting shows. And Jesse Kelly, boy, he can carry the mic. I'm very happy with him. I'm uh, very happy with Jesse, too. Yeah, yeah, so I think that that's good. But I appreciate you listening very much. I got one more question for you. Sure. Um, you, do I need to talk to your producer tomorrow about uh, getting a newsletter, newsletter sent to my house or a what newsletter? Do you have a newsletter? I guess. No, no, I, no? I haven't put no. that out. So just subscribe at rock of You could subscribe there and it's free. Okay. So I'll put that stuff together. I really cool. wouldn't uh, worry about that stuff right now. You know, there's so much noise. There's so much noise oh, and oh. everyone is just putting out crap. And I do have one more question, actually. I'm sorry. I apologize. Oh, do you want me to finish I, I, answering I, your current question? Oh, of course. I'm okay. sorry. So, I, yeah, <laughs> so, so there's just, <laughs> it's okay. There's just too much noise. And I, I think, you know, everyone is uh, is duping, duplicating a lot of stuff. Um, you see a lot of the same interviews coming from the same people. I don't need to do interviews because 
one, I don't care to really talk to too many people about stuff. I get all the interviews from other people. I don't need to interview the person uh, fourth or fifth time. I think, you know, seeing, you know, Dr. McCullough or Robert Malone or any of this stuff, like they're on five, six times a day on Darius programs. Um, you know, seeing same guys on energy, like we, we've got to broaden that. There's as many people to interview as there is radio show house out there. And they end up all sort of touching each other and it's the same information. I will tell you that's Tucker Carlson, the second to none. Uh, he's the treadmill. Everybody is uh, usually following. So I'll present probably more of his stuff than not. And then some of the snippets from some of the other places before they become news tomorrow. So a lot of what you heard tonight is all things that you'll be hearing tomorrow. And mark my words, you will hear them tomorrow on the other shows. So take a listen before you get started on the rest of your day tomorrow. And you only have so much time to consume. Uh, you could do right. it within these, these three hours that I'm going to basically roll out to you every day. I appreciate that. Thank you. Okay, so the, I guess my, this is for sure my very last question. Uh, you and, and Dana Vargas, I had listened to you guys, I guess, do a show on Saturday recently. Um, how often is that going to occur? She does her own show. I don't have anything to do with her show. Is she on your station? Yeah, she's on six to eight Saturdays. Six to eight Saturdays. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay, yeah, cool. so, so the whole yeah. lineup and everything, you can just find abq.fm or you can go to therockoftalk.com if you want the actual show schedule. Um, rockoftalk.com. Yeah, the okay. Rock of Talk. T-H-E, Rock of Talk. If you go to com, you'll just download the apps, but if you go to therockoftalk.com, you'll get the schedule. Fantastic. Thank you, sir. All right. Have a good one. What, Thanks, everybody, for listening. I appreciate that uh, very much. I love uh, phone calls, and I love uh, being able to interact with some of you guys uh, who are out there. Skipped right through the break, um, which I'm fine with, uh, especially during the third hour. So anything that you want to talk about or any information uh, i am live uh, here in studio at uh, 10 17 and 44 seconds uh, here in the kiva so let's cover it uh, very quickly shall we there's so many other things that i wanted to uh delve into we covered hamlin we covered the speaker stuff uh but really what we have to prepare for um in the next year is a terrible economy and uh, according to uh most of the reports what was it 17 of 23 banks are predicting a recession we already were in a recession <laughs> Two negative quarters, and now once the third numbers uh, start coming out, like we know that it is already all there. Two of the 23 firms expect the recession to come later in 2024. But uh, here you go, folks. Nearly two dozen institutions have already said 20 of the 23 large financial institutions surveyed by the Wall Street Journal. They predict that the United States will fall into the grips of a recession in 2023. Again, we're already in a recession, which is why people are feeling this way. You just have to acknowledge that. And there's nothing to get upset about. We're already there, okay? Credit Suisse, Goldman Sachs, HSBC, uh, JP Morgan Chase, Morgan Stanley have already put us in there. We have soaring U.S. inflation. We reached a peak of 9%, uh, and it was long overdue, and I'm glad that it happened, but it's now it started to decline, and we don't care about the politics of it, who's in charge at what time and for what reason. It happened and it came through. An alternative measure of inflation uses the same methodology as the U.S. government used to measure CPI in the 1980s, puts November's inflation figure at nearly 16%. In fact, they had it at 15.23%. So if you're feeling the pinch, everyone's feeling the pinch. You got core price inflation at 4.7%, which is food and energy. Uh, which is uh, very, very high. You saw that those gas prices came down right up until the day after Christmas and they started going up again. A view of the uh, market outlook from 10 major investment banks by 
A law group shows that the majority are leaning towards pessimism with one of them, Barclays, predicting that she'll be a long, hard slog. Barclays uh, has one of my credit cards, so I'm sure they'll be jacking up the rates on that as well. Inflation in the United States, as measured by the CPI, soared from a pandemic-era low of 0.24% in May of 2020 to a peak of 9% of June of 2022. And finally, the international agency expects U.S. inflation to drop to 3.5% this year from 8.1% in 2022. So that is some good news that is ahead, but uh, we're going to go ahead and have to adjust uh, for various other things. So <clears throat> with all that being said, what does it look like? Well, your boss wants you to go back to work for one, okay? No more staying at home, hanging out, doing nothing, uh, you know, clocking in, clocking out, and your chones at home, right? Uh, and by the way, in New Mexico, chones is the word for underwear. Vanguard Group, Paycom, Software, and other push staffers to return on required days. In fact, I know several people who are having to do this. They're uh, forced to show up at least three days out of the five a week. Um, they have hybrid schedules right now that are coming in. Um, several interviews done by Wall Street Journal are showing that this is more of the rule than the exception. More, more people are implementing hybrid days. Surveys have actually shown that most employees are willing to work in an office at least a few days a week, and many workers say they see benefits of being in an office. However, literally less than 10% want to return back to a full-time schedule, so they'll have an augmented hybrid schedule moving forward. Well, what will that do? Well, it's going to decrease productivity. Uh, it doesn't matter what study you look at and from what angle you look at it. Every single workforce, every single company, Every single organization does better when everybody is forced to show up to work and has to be accountable. That seems to have been thrown out with uh, COVID-19. Everybody thinks because of technology, everybody thinks because, you know, you have the remote access uh, tools and all these various other things that you can be as effective. There is zero proof that you could be more effective at home or actually do more work or feel burnt out while you are at home. I had to go through this with one person for the last two and a half years, and that person was not more productive. So uh, that is something that should be stated emphatically. Businesses are losing out, and uh, they should probably try to strip away as many of the employees and people who work for them as possible so they can become lean and mean and less liable for the people that work with them. There's a 40-person company worked remotely early in the pandemic. Uh, they stated that burnout increase and productivity, productivity slipped for employees. Well, how does those two remain sort of synonymous? That's impossible. How do you have burnout and productivity slipping at the same exact time, okay? You can't get burnout if you aren't working that hard. And that has completely and totally changed this culture. So uh, these companies, especially for those who are looking to lay off a number of people, are going to want the employees that they are employing to show up back to work. And, you know, as I stated earlier in the program and Bill O'Reilly stated earlier today, nearly 80% of Americans predict that 2023 will deliver economic difficulty. Well, what spells economic difficulty more than not going to work? You need to go to work to be able to provide for yourself. So how can you have both? How can you not work and then very, at, the, at, at the very same time say, well, you know what? I'm just not uh, getting as much out of things. And, you know, the reason why I'm poor is because I don't want to work. You're not going to say that. The reason why you're poor is because you don't want to work. The vast majority of Americans predicted 23 will deliver economic difficulty under President Joe Biden. This is good news. 
for Republicans who aren't in a position to take advantage of this, at least as of this point in early 2023. 53% said unemployment will increase under Biden's leadership. Well, it has nowhere to go but up at this point. The unemployment rate, I don't know that anybody's really thinking about that, is at historic lows, even right now. 85% estimated 23 will be a troubled year with much international discord. Let's not forget the labor participation rate has decreased, has decreased significantly during COVID-19. More people in the gig economy are getting chased by the federal government. People who are working onesie, twosie, tens, 99s, things like that. Um, any type of money transfers at all. Well, they're sending the 87,000 IRS agents, which are most certainly going to come, okay, to go after these uh, <clears throat> gig economy workers. Majority of Democrats foresee five positive developments in 2023. It includes increasing employment, 69%. Well, not going to happen. A reasonable rise in prices. Uh, no, that is not going to happen. You're going to continue to see them decline, the inflation. So there's going to be a reasonable rise in prices. A rising stock market, 53%. Are you idiots? 2022 was bad. 2023 will be equally bad because they're going to finally have to take it in the shorts. And those losses are finally going to reflect. Look at the stock market. It continues to stay artificially high. Okay. Look at now what you have with Apple. Look at what you have with the tech companies. I'll get to that momentarily. An increase in U.S. power, 56% see a decrease in Russian power. Are these people dreaming? Russia controls all of the resources. Democrats are least likely to predict political cooperation and a peaceful year, mostly free of international disputes. Okay, that's what's coming out right now. Republicans, well, they're not very optimistic at all. Somehow the Democrats are pretty optimistic at this point. So let's talk about some of the trends that came in 2022 that will continue. They absolutely killed, killed last year, okay? There's no more cheap money. Money is now more expensive. People need to understand that it's going to cost you more to keep that money that you have. Borrowing costs have increased significantly. We're going back north of 3%, 4% in some cases, 5% in some cases, all right? Markets expect rates to stop climbing in 2023 with peaks between 45 and 5%. That will continue throughout the remainder of the year. That's going to impact durable goods, car loans, house loans, things like that. But it's going to pretty much maintain until the uh, end of the year. You're going to see probably start to see it decline just a little bit. Uh, towards the end of the year, but it's going to have to stay pretty much where it's at for most of 2023. How about the bull market that we've had in the uh, stock market? Well, that has now come to an end, uh, almost a screeching halt all of a sudden. In fact, they're calling it a minor crash. That's right. It's proved lasting. The S&P fell by a quarter to its lowest point this year in mid-October, remains down 20% year over year. What's another thing that's happened? People have less money, evaporating capital. That's right, folks. People are losing their money. Not only is that more expensive to keep your money, but you're losing it in the stock market and your capital in your bank accounts is also decreasing because guess what? The governments aren't printing money to put into your bank accounts, right? That's not happening anymore. And finally, let's not forget what's the big FTX crypto has imploded. It is over for crypto. Okay, nobody has any confidence in that type of currency. So that has also impacted things uh, as well. And I think people need to understand that durables, real estate, 
uh, things that people can actually tangibly own and invest in are going to ultimately beat uh, investments overall. Liquidity is not going to be the key any longer. People are going to want to have something that's going to go ahead and help them through the ebbs and flow of the economy and the cost of capital and the dissipating money that is in your hands. Because after all, a house is still a house. And I think people need to remember that. All right. So who's it going to impact the most? Well, believe it or not, folks, it's going to be the richest amongst us who are going to be the most impacted. And a lot of that has to do, most of that has to do with who's in power. The left goes after the rich, not just in the United States, but out the rest of the, rest of the world. They sort of look at what's happening in Brazil with Lula, one of the largest economies. Look at what's happening in some of the European uh, countries. They're electing more and more leftists, where you see more people moving more towards the right, okay? You have more reasonable economic policies that have been in place that have kept those economies buoyant, more market-oriented, those that don't demonize people who do well, who capitalize, who invest, who buy businesses, and who create jobs, all right? So this economic downturn is going to go after people who have more wealth. They're going to go ahead and increase because they have to put the squeeze on somebody. They're going to put the squeeze on the people who have larger amounts of assets, particularly housing, uh, any sort of luxury goods, things like that. Okay. Uh, Let's not forget, they're also the ones who have to take it in shortcomings to losing all of their employees, right? The layoffs that are going to come in, well, they're going to have to do that so that they can find some level of capital that they can perform at, and they're going to make a heck of a lot less money than they were making for the last 10 years. That includes places like, I don't know, Amazon, uh, Facebook, all the rest of those. I mean, these people were able to provide jobs that were making a quarter of a million dollars a year. Those jobs are getting slashed. What's happened is people are moving out of San Francisco and they're moving to Sacramento. That trend is happening throughout the rest of the country. People are fleeing larger cities where it costs more to be in for smaller cities where it doesn't take as much and your dollar can stretch a lot further. So you're going to see that a lot. It's going to benefit cities like the one that I live in here in Albuquerque. So uh, let's not forget that. So um, what else is going to be uh, happening? Uh, Apple, Amazon, right? The... Uh, MAGA companies, all right? Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon, Facebook, okay? They're all MAGAF. Remember that acronym that I was talking and teaching you about? All of those companies are going to lose a considerable amount of money. First, let's go to Apple. Okay, I'm a big Apple fan. I use Apple products. I have Apple iPhones. I have Apple computers. I have Apple everything. I can't live without my Apple, Okay. I need it. It makes everything very easy. It helps my workflow, has everything that's very well connected. I don't have to worry about syncing all the time. You know, coming from a tech guy, I used to have to plug things in and sync things up and then look to see if there was a handshake that was successful. That was like 15, 20 years ago when my Palm Pilot had to sync with my ACT database and I had to make sure that everything on my Palm Pilot or my trio matched with everything that was on my computer. I mean, that, that's archaic. Now you just, everything is just on your phone. It's all there. Okay. Just today, Apple shares fell nearly 4%. 4%. This is a company that had a $3 trillion market cap, an entire United States budget. At one point, it was stated that Apple had more cash on hand than the United States government. 
Apple has lost more than a trillion dollars in market value since its peak. Since its peak. It is now sub $2 trillion, okay? Had a peak market cap of nearly $3 trillion. It's now sub $2 trillion. They've lost a trillion dollars in market cap. And all you have to do is go and look at their shares back on March 31st, actually on January 5th of last year at $174.92. And they are currently at $124.55. That's where their market cap has come down to. They don't have the amount of money that they once did. In June of last year, they were down at 130, but there's no signs of them coming back to where they were because there's not demand. On top of the fact that they had to change their Foxconn manufacturing, it's going to cost them a lot more to roll out these iPhones. These iPhones that have been six, seven, eight hundred dollars for the last few years are likely to go to go ahead and go north of a thousand bucks for you to get the latest iPhone. And less people with less money are going to want to invest in those. Think about that for a sec. Think about how important that is. Okay. Yes, the show is live now. I am live right here in the Kiva, 10.32 p.m., okay? You're welcome to go ahead and text or call in, whatever you want, all right? And it's on rockoftalk.tv. All right, so 550-5500, if you guys want to go ahead and uh, text in in the 505, uh, you can do that. All right, so let's continue to talk about these companies. How about Tesla? Tesla had their worst drop ever today. Their worst drop in over two years. Nobody's talking about that. They're talking about, well, who's running the house or what happened with Hamlin or all this other stuff. Like the world is falling apart. Elon Musk was more interested in how to run Twitter than he was how to run this, the most valuable company in the world, which was Tesla. It posted a 12% drop, folks. It's 2023 vehicle delivery expectations fell short. And it gets worse for all electric vehicles across the board, okay? On the first day of trading today in 2023, it posted a disappointing fourth quarter delivery figure, fueling demand concerns and keeping pressure on a stock market that is fresh off its worst ever annual performance. According to the numbers, it was down, and how much money did did Elon Musk lose? Well, 12%. (laughs) There you go. Tesla's share fell 65% last year overall, and the company has now lost more than $950 billion in value since the stock hit a peak in November of 2021. Elon Musk, electric vehicle maker, said it delivered 1.31 million vehicles last year, up roughly 40% from 2021, but off of its commitment, its goal. It also missed its initial goal of increasing deliveries by 50% or more because it had previously stated that it would do that and it was trying to get more people to invest in. They were expecting it to go nearly to 2 million deliveries. It didn't even get anywhere close. Goldman Sachs actually cut its 2023 Tesla delivery forecast to 1.8 million vehicles for this year. It also endured a tumultuous period last year. It idled its car factory in Shanghai on multiple occasions because of COVID-19. It also faced challenges ramping up new plants in Germany and Texas. Signs of demand destruction and the impact of recent price discounts to gross margin will be a key focus for investors as the narrative of ever-expanding share gains and margin growth are needed to justify multiple in our view, according to an an analyst on Tesla. So we continue. I think we shall give you an idea about where things are going to go through. Okay, Tech layoffs, they're happening faster than ever. All these tech companies laying people off. I told you when this was happening before, you didn't listen. 
Okay. It is nearly in November of 2022. The new numbers have come out. The largest number of layoffs in the tech sector have actually happened. 51,489 employees were laid off in the month of November alone. If you go back and you look at the other numbers from 2020 where they were increasing, then it uh, completely stayed even in 2021. And then it increased in the number of layoffs considerably. The estimates include large employers such as Facebook, Meta, laying off more than 11,000. Amazon lays out 10, lays off 10,000 in all of this. In the first year of the pandemic, tech employers announced more than 80,000 job cuts from March through December, according to layoffs. In 2021, the website tracked far fewer layoffs among the tech companies, as many of them uh, stayed at home. And then you went from 80,000 in 2020 during COVID to double that in 2022. After only having 15,000 layoffs, roughly 15,000 layoffs in 2021, it's increased tenfold from 2021 to 2022. These are people who are connected to Teslas and other durables, computers, houses, et cetera, et cetera. That's nearly 150,000 six-figure jobs at least, maybe multiple six-figure jobs. Two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars is generally what a lot of these tech guys make. That's like six jobs. That's nearly a layoff of six hundred to seven hundred thousand normal paying jobs. Let's look at some of the other uh, big layoffs that are happening. Hundred hundred healthcare related tech companies laid off an estimated eleven thousand employees in twenty twenty two. Education laid off an additional ten thousand. You had travel agencies uh, uh, and travel groups laying off uh, amidst 15 to 20,000. Uh, let's see. And real estate, better.com laid off 3,000. Redfin laid off, laid off 1,000. Transportation, you might famously remember I told you Carvana laid off 4,000. Lyft laid off 1,000. Peloton has laid off nearly 3,500 people. Tech layoffs are going to continue to increase through at least the first, maybe the second quarter of this year until it finally finds a happy medium where it's going to be able to satisfy both its stock investors as well as its uh, bottom line profit margins and its employees on where it can pay them. All right, so uh, speaking of Tesla, uh, there's this really cool vehicle called the Rivian. I'm not even sure how many people uh, know about this. I saw them. The Rivian... uh, when Blue Origin was on its way to its uh, base in Van something, te- I forget the name, in Van something, Texas, I saw these Rivian uh, vehicles of Blue Origin go out there. It only produced 10,020 completed vehicles in the final three months of last year. Nowhere near its 25,000 vehicle production target for 2022. And they continue to sit on the lots. They're too expensive, folks. Not many people are picking these off. In fact, this company is at a point where it may not be able to be solvent. It's an EV company struggling with factory challenges and capital crushing needs. Another EV startup, Lucid, lowered its production target this year, citing supply chain and logistical issues. The Irvine company based Rivian reported a net loss of $5 billion dollars during the first nine months of last year, it just had to produce 25,000 vehicles. Couldn't do that. The plan has a capacity to eventually produce around 150,000 vehicles a year, according to the company. 
Rivian shares surged following its November 2021 initial public offering, but declined throughout last year amid its production challenges and worsening economic outlook. Shares have fallen more than 80% from its high, closing today at $17.34 for a valuation of only $15.3 billion. So that's where the company Rivian currently is. Hopefully you're keeping up with everything that I'm uh, rolling out to you. All right. So we're going into sort of a, a decline. What are these employees going to do? Okay. They're starting to feel layoffs. They're starting to feel like it's a hostile work environment. They're, they're, they're too much is being asked of them. They're unwilling to give up certain things. Da, 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 da. Well, MAGA, the M in that is for Microsoft. Just stated today, 300 employees at the company's video game unit, ZeniMax, voted to organize with the Communication Workers of America. That's right, folks. Its stock went down. They voted to form the software company's first labor union in the United States. That's right. It said it was open to working with any labor unions, Microsoft said, that want to organize within its workforce, making it an outlier in the tech industry. Last year, you might remember Amazon contested workers' efforts to unionize. Microsoft had said it would support workers. Activision Blizzard, who organized that, that last year, it should should its $75 billion deal for the Call of Duty developer close. According to the report, Microsoft announced plans to buy Activision a year ago. They continued to unionize, and the Activision deal would be Microsoft's largest ever. It also bought the company ZeniMax. The company behind it franchises such event or such video games as doom the elder scrolls and fallout and uh, got all of those for 7.5 billion in addition to the union stuff so this is what's happening it's i think it's happening at starbucks i believe that uh apple is now also unionizing as well uh chipotle i believe is is, is unionizing right now you've got uh, rei trader joe's so this is what's happening as the capital constrictions are starting to happen it's going to put further onus on the people that own those companies like Microsoft, like Amazon, and they're going to go ahead and have to get squeezed so that they can provide more for their employees. So it's going to be a race to see who's going to do who in first on all that. So there you go. Microsoft, Magif, that's what they're taking on. So stocks are now slipping as investors are, are worrying about all of their uh, sort of investments that are carrying into 2023. And there's a number of things uh, that are at play here. All right. So, what happens? Well, I'm in the advertising business. Advertising starts to dry up, okay? It starts to dry up, but it's drying up first on those biggest takers and their bottom lines are hurting. Google and Meta's advertising dominance has completely faded. Everything is going to TikTok. Everything, literally everything is TikTok now, okay? Google and Facebook accounted for 48.4% of U.S. digital ad spending in 2022. According to estimates from Research Insider, their combined U.S. market share hadn't been under 15, 50% since 2014 and expects the number to drop, drop south of 45% this year. I think it'll be even less than that, to be quite honest. TikTok, yes, TikTok, is uh, likely to probably go north of 35% of overall ad tracking and ad web advertising this year. Google didn't respond to a request for comment to the Wall Street Journal on the company's most recent earning call in December, in October. Executives talked about how search-based advertising tends to do well during challenging economic times. Not so. That is incorrect. More traditional mediums will do much better because of the lower cost and the higher impact. And that is, of course, going to include 
You guessed it, radio. This is a great time to be in radio, ladies and gentlemen, I will tell you. TikTok's command of the U.S. digital ad market more than doubled in 2022. Thanks to its 100 million U.S. monthly active users, the virality of the platform and its holdover Gen Z millennials and influencers, still its overall show remains small, accounting for 2% of U.S. digital ad spending. According to Insider Intelligence, which expects that number to grow to 2.5% this year alone. Yeah, and about 50% of traffic. So people are going to be able to compose, work harder, uh, but they're going to get their stuff uh, all heard uh, right there on that. And finally, and finally, Who's going to be benefiting from the meltdown, the economic meltdown that's coming across this country? Well, it's going to be these very tech companies. That's right. These very tech companies. Uh, size will matter during this entire downturn, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, in 2022, overall, the music has stopped. You had Netflix, the movies, you know, uh, Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Meta, Microsoft. You know, all of those are, are certainly out there and uh, tech is ultimately going to probably benefit in some way, somehow, because more people are going to have l- more devices to consume and they're thinking that they're going to get them for next to nothing. So you're going to have more ad injected things that are going to be taking place. So back to wrap the show. Thanks for listening to me, listen, listening to me for the last 45 minutes here in the Kiva on this inaugural journey here on the Rock of Talk. AM 600 KIV, ABQ.FM. Uh, you got to love this wrap the show here. How soon is now? It's right now. Right here in the Kiva. Here on my local station, the Amsterdam KIVA. And of course, you'll be able to hear me uh, throughout a number of other radio stations as uh, me and my team put everything together moving forward. And uh, thanks everybody for being such a great supporter of this uh, radio station for uh, the last 12 New Year's. Uh, yeah, hard to believe it's been that long. But what I'll agree is the Journal's Reader's Choice Award here, uh, number one radio personality from 2017 to 2020. Now putting together a better radio station, 161 out of 168 hours are now live, and I bring it all to you, not to mention 65 other great stations by the web on the app, and the entire lineup is at the phdrockoftalk.com. You can see everything there, and if you just want to download the app, you can go to rockoftalk.com. That's rockoftalk.com. Love the Smiths and uh, love Morrissey. All good stuff. Um, <coughs> wow. The, the Pope? And the Catholic Church does not like Joe Biden. They don't want him at the funeral for uh, the recently deceased uh, Pope Benedict. Uh, 65, 70,000 people showed up to honor the uh, uh, retired Pope. Uh, he retired about uh, 10 years ago, I want to say, at 85, 86 uh, years of age. And uh, here's the <laughs> official word from Jean-Pierre. As the president said in his statement, as I'm sure you saw, he joins Catholics and so many others around the world in mourning the passing of Pope uh, Emeritus uh, Benedict XVI. He will always... Hey, Pope Emeritus! <laughs> yeah. Oh, the Pope Emeritus. Uh, it sounds like a, a disease, right? The Pope Emeritus. Around the world in mourning the passing of Pope uh, Emeritus uh, Benedict <laughs> Boy, she's an idiot. Well, you can't say that because if you say she's an idiot, you're racist. Uh, emeritus, uh, chick. Dick the 16th, he will always uh, remember uh, the Pope's generosity and, me- and meaningful conversation they had when he visited the Vatican in 2011. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, uh, the U.S. Ambassador to the Holy See, Joe Donnelly, will uh, represent the United uh, States at the funeral Donnelly. of the Pope in line with the no. wishes of the late Pope and the Vatican. This is what uh, this is what their requests were. This is what 
what their wishes were. Uh, and so uh, that's what you'll see from the U.S. Oh, that's painful stuff, right? It's just <laughs> the Pope meningitis. That's pretty good. Uh, there you go. The Pope hemorrhitis, the Pope meningitis, uh, whatever you want to come up with, uh, White House. So uh, there you go. Uh, okay, so let's kind of drill down on the news for the day. A lot of different uh, news items. Biden will not attend the funeral of Pope Benedict in line with the wishes of the Vatican, uh, as you just heard uh, there. <laughs> Who would want Biden anywhere? Uh, he had nothing on the schedule today. Uh, the U.S. Ambassador to the Holy See will represent the U.S. at the funeral, according to Jean-Pierre. will only host the world leaders from Italy and Benedict's home country of Germany. That's right, due to the private nature of the event, according to Reuters. He resigned in 2013, citing health concerns, being the first pope to resign in 600 years. Glad to see he made it for an additional 10. I uh, certainly don't want anything. So Peter Ducey uh, asked uh, Jean-Pierre Point Blank if Biden was involved in uh, any family business schemes at the very same event today. It was uh, certainly a good moment, uh, as as they all are with uh, Jean-Pierre. She, she doesn't know a whole lot. Uh, let's take a listen from what uh, she had to say. Well, we can't. Uh, so I've said, I've said this before, and I'll say it again, Peter House Republicans promised that fighting inflation during the midterms was going to be their number one priority. This is what they said was important to them, and that's why they said they wanted to do. But instead, what they're doing is wanting to start an investigation on the president and his family. They don't want to focus on the American people and their family, and they want to focus on political division. No, actually, what the Republicans want to focus on is hating each other. Uh, so uh, you both got it wrong. But Peter Ducey was right to ask the questions in a normal functioning a uh, place where we'd be able to ask questions and receive answers, uh, we would no doubt hear a, a reasonable answer, but uh, that's something we didn't have. Now, uh, according to The Economist, the death of Pope Benedict removes a problem for liberal Catholics. Well, what is that? Uh, that's got to be abortion, right? Uh, he remained an important figure in the struggle over the church's future. To the occasional consternation of Pope Francis, the very liberal successor, uh, according to The Economist, Francis has held the Leeds world uh, the world's lead of 1.3 billion Catholics and the uncomfortable knowledge that a prelate and immense authority and the radically different ideas was just living a few hundred yards away in the Vatican gardens. Benedict continued to wear the all-white habit of a pontiff and styled himself Pope Emeritus. After his resignation, he made a few public appearances but continued to make his beliefs known. What did he believe in? Priestly celibacy. Well, now that post, uh, Pope Benedict is now dead, uh, they might start to open up uh, the opportunity, if you will, for priests uh, to engage in, yes, going all the way back to Gregory the Twelfth in 1415 when um, when uh, priests were apparently allowed allowed uh, to marry. So uh, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens with all that. But also bring forward the next great contest between the rival wings of the world's biggest Christian denomination, the election of the next pope. Although Benedict lifted the taboo on papal resignation, it would have been impossible for the successor to follow his example while Benedict remained alive. So if it will have two living popes, uh, was regarded as unfortunate who had resigned, three would certainly be unthinkable. Francis, whose own health has deteriorated noticeably, is now free to step aside once a decent interval has elapsed uh, between uh Benedict's death and a little bit of time. He's already older than Benedict was when he resigned. Shortly after his election, he signed a resignation letter to take effect in the event of his incapacity. So uh, there you go. So I guess, uh, you know, the wheels will keep on turning in the papacy. So we'll see what happens. So there is a uh, expose that is coming out on Pope Benedict. Uh, his aide 
has uh, uh, an expose talking about Benedict's dark maneuvers. Um, uh, Pope Benedict died Saturday at the age of 95. Body was put on display. And Archbishop George Guy Schwain's Nothing But the Truth, quote, My Life Beside Pope Benedict the 16th is being published this month by PME imprint of Italian publishing giant Mondadori. According to the press release, the 66 year old German priest archbishop stood by Benedict's side for nearly three decades as an official working for then Cardinal Joe Ratzinger, who became Benedict. Gashwin followed his boss in the apostolic palace and secretary when Ratzinger was elated to Pope in 2005. And one of the most memorable images of Benedict's final day as Pope on February 28, 2013, he wept as he accompanied Benedict through the Prescott Halls of the Vatican, and uh, apparently he's going to go ahead and uh, open up the dark under and inner workings of the Catholic Church uh, during Benedict. So that could be a pretty interesting read in the tell-all book, uh, exposing what happens uh, inside the Vatican. So, um, and uh, finally, it should be stated that uh, Pope Francis has failed I think, to preserve the level of peace that I think uh, would be required by most popes. You might remember uh, famously Pope John Paul II, especially during the Cold War. Uh, Pope Francis has been anything uh, but a sort of a a peace. He's been more of a uh, uh, conquer and divider along with uh, some of the leftist world governments uh, out there, ours included in in all of that. All right, uh, I had some bad news to report on all this, but we're going to save it all for uh, tomorrow. Um, including a transgender Missouri inmate executed for a fatal stabbing. A pharma exec who killed an eight-year-old son and apparent suicide uh, happened today after Supreme Court revoked bail yesterday. So a pharma exec uh, uh, suicided. Uh, father deliberately drove a car off a cliff in Northern California. That's interesting. They all survived, by the way. So, uh, But it was an attempted murder. And uh, finally, an SUV slamming into a New York City sports bar, sending 19 people to the hospital. That also uh, happening, uh, as well. So we'll talk about that. I'll talk about Southwest tomorrow. I'll talk about China and Russia, uh, tomorrow. They start to sort of, uh, assemble and uh, put more and more of this uh, show together, uh, for you. And, uh, also we'll delve into the social media stuff, including Jordan Peterson now being investigated for criticizing Justin Trudeau. And then, uh, you have, uh, Andrew Tate, uh, is now getting a lot of support from the Taliban. <laughs> Interestingly enough, um, I'll get more into that uh, uh, report on Elon going red, Tesla promoting a China boss to the head of the U.S. plants and sales, and a study showing how social media causes children to dislike their own bodies. Uh, you know, tell us uh, something that we don't know. And finally, the world reacting to the death of Brazilian soccer king Pelé, uh, who was uh, Buried today in uh, Brazil for Santos, uh, by the way. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo remembered him as a simple goodbye to the eternal king. Pelé will never be enough to express the pain that hits the entire world of football at this moment. An inspiration for so many millions. A reference of yesterday, today, and always. Uh, dying post-World uh, Cup, by the way, after seeing uh, uh, Brazil fall and Argentina uh, not only uh, win South America, but win the world uh, with uh, now widely considered the greatest player of all time, uh, Messi of uh, Argentina. The affection he has always shown, Cristiano Cristiano said, shown for me was reciprocal every moment we shared, even at distances. He will never be forgotten and his memory will last forever. 
in each and every one of us football lovers. Rest in peace, King Pele. So there you go. All right, inaugural edition out of the way. Uh, a little something for everybody. We'll put this up and upload it and get this out. And uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Tell a friend. Let them know that uh, Eddie has uh, not died. He's still here. Waiting for a lot of time. See you bright and early tomorrow at 8 p.m. in the Kiva. Always telling you more about what's happening on the next day. And uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Stay tuned. Coast to Coast AM is next.